Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We're here for the greatest movie of one of the greatest franchises of all time on the Oz Network as we get to talk about Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And why is it the greatest movie and one of the greatest franchises of all time? Because you've got Indiana Jones meets James Bond and even more James Bond people in this movie because we've also got Jenny Flex in this movie. (laughs) And we've also got Christados. We've got everybody in this entire cast was John Rhys-Davies. Literally, this entire cast minus one guy was in James Bond uh, and Harrison Ford. Uh, but in Angel of the Last Crusade, the 1989 George Lucas, Steven Spielberg original uh, ending of the series, and we saw how that worked out. Uh, and we get to talk about it. it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I got so many great stories about this. My name is Colin, and I said no camels. That's five camels. Can't you count? And my name is Ben, and leave me alone. I don't like fast women. <laughs> Which and is I not don't true. like arrogant men. <laughs> and I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough. It's coarse and rough. <laughs> and gets every- Can I just put out one thing that I've never realized when we talked about Jenny Flex back in the day? Her name is mm. Alison Duty. <laughs> yes, I knew you'd comment on it. <laughs> Duty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Had to get it over and done with. Ben has just watched a very immature film. <laughs> duty. <laughs> now he's laughing at duty. Uh, yeah, this thing. <laughs> Let's get it out of the way now. <laughs> I'll mute myself. We want to do this intro. Gotta, come on. No. <laughs> so, yeah, Last Crusade. Um, I Really, this is, at the time, very unusual that you'd have a five-year gap before a sequel because... You know, two years, even th- even the three years in between the Star Wars movies and then uh, Raiders to Temple of Doom was kind of unusual. I mean, the, the James Bond movies never had gaps like this. Uh, and five years was really just let's find a way to get everybody together again. Uh, but I, I was I was alive and aware of Indiana Jones when this movie came out. And uh, first of several personal stories I'll have on this episode um, the, when this movie came out, I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. I had the book with the recordings and turn page for Temple <laughs> turn of Doom. Turn the page. Ding. <laughs> and I really remember this being like the first time that a movie came out, like as a child where I could get excited for something. It wasn't just, Hey, there's a movie. Let's go see it. Uh, but this was like, there's a new Indiana Jones movie and I can go see it. Uh, and we were visiting my, um, aunt and uncle and cousins out in BC when this movie came out. The famous one? And, uh, the, the famous one. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I had already mentioned over on the, the brink, which people I'm sure will, will tune in to listen to just to get the full side of the story. Uh, an incident that occurred after my dad died where my uncle maybe spoiled me and, uh, my mom maybe wasn't too happy about it. 
So there was one weekend when we were all out in Abbotsford and we we're going to see a movie and uh, my uncle and cousin were going to see Last Crusade. And I'm like, oh, I want to go see Indiana Jones. And my mom's like, no, I want us to go to see a movie together. And so I asked my uncle, I was like, can I go see Last Crusade with you and my, my cousin? And he was like, if it's okay with your mom, it's okay with me. And my mom says, I said, I want to see a movie together. And I don't even know what we saw. I think it was like Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks Aww, or something. That's not bad. Uh, but it's not Indiana Jones True. and Last Crusade. <laughs> but I never forgave my mom for that. Uh, get off the car, mom. Like, <laughs> get off the car. <laughs> but it was like months later. I mean, it could have even been close to a year later. That's how long video releases were at the time. And I remember when it came out on video and probably to make it up to me, my mom rented it like the first day it was out and and I, I still don't know why, but like my brother and sister weren't as big on Indiana Jones as kids. My sister loves them now. My brother stills indifferent, but what? I remember taking this. Yeah, they, they, I mean, my sister came around, so she's a smart one. Oh, so your brother but, was uh, an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Ian. Thanks for listening. I'm, I'm, I'm not the idiot in the family. There you go. But I remember taking this down to the basement and watching it by myself, all by myself. Yeah. <laughs> And then as soon as it ended, I immediately rewound it and watched it again. I just, I just love this movie. And yeah, it, it's the one that I've definitely seen the most, uh, even though I think I had seen Raiders a dozen times before this movie ever came out. Uh, but I, I will reserve my story after I give you a chance to talk about your history with this movie for uh, my second personal story on this. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I used to love taking movies downstairs to my basement and rewinding them and watching them over and over again. But I usually stop watching them you know like a, a couple of minutes i'd stop watching you're, them you're locking it. the door yeah um you know going that way uh i was also ben, have you seen the tissues <laughs> didn't use tissues he's a hanky <laughs> well that's right your hankies you never watched <laughs> now they're even more disgusting aren't they um <laughs> i was also alive when this movie came out but i wasn't aware of it because i was two um so I don't really have a story to share. My story basically relates to my dad got them at McDonald's. <laughs> like, but I, I do... I'm still jealous about that. I When I'm there, like uh, the time of recording this, the time of releasing this, I would have already been there. But it, when I'm there, if I remember this weekend, I'll try and take a photo of them if uh, my dad still hasn't, uh, still has them, hasn't thrown them out. Um, but I, I do seem to remember, like as I said last week, Temple of Doom, I swear, was the one I would always watch. Like, I also seem to remember this one. Well, I, I, okay, let me rephrase that. I didn't remember this one the most, but I also always used to remember saying I liked this one the most. And maybe, like, I feel Raiders, uh, like, Temple Doom was always on TV, but I also feel Raiders of the Lost Ark was always on TV. But I feel this was the one that Dad and I would also always just randomly watch because I always remember the Sean Connery stuff. I don't know. It was Is weird. that your roundabout way of saying you've seen all the movies a lot? Well, like I, again, I did used to watch them a lot, but they they were never like on Star Wars rotation. Um, and it's interesting because when we get to Back to the Future later this year, I have a very interesting history with Back to the Future that I was very late to the Back to the Future party. That was not a trilogy that I watched a lot as a child. It wasn't until I was a teenager that I ever saw Back to the Future. So I don't have a storied history with Back to the Future as I do with these movies. But Indiana Jones is kind of that franchise that I just fell away from versus Back to the Future, which I fell in love with and maintain mm. that love. So it's kind of, it, it's strange. But yeah, my history is I saw it in that trilogy at one point and would watch it from time to time. I remember Sean Connery. I remember the video game because as I keep saying, I remember mm. the train. 
and I always remember the guy turning into a skeleton, which I now know is a guy who I've interviewed. So, because yes. um, again, when we interviewed Julian Glover, I honestly did not remember he was the villain in this film. So that's my story. And also River Phoenix, rest in peace. Oh, and River Phoenix was not in a James Bond movie. So I guess there's a couple actors who weren't. Um, yeah, you know, so a, a couple other uh, instances where I saw this, uh, I remember the first time that I got to see this on the big screen. And it was the same summer. They had like a summer where every single weekend they'd show midnight screenings of like classic movies. And that's how I saw most of the Rocky movies on the big screen, uh, all these Indiana Jones. And uh, with this one, I, I I remember seeing it and it was like, they would, they would stagger their midnight showings. So it was, I think 1245 was when it was supposed to start. And it ended up starting more like 1.10 in the morning because there was a problem with the projector. And then this movie's over two hours long and it was like 3.30 in the morning before the movie let out. Uh, and then I still had to walk home after that because I was not paying for a cab. And uh, I was so not, similar. there were there were no buses running. Uh, so it was daylight by the time I got home. I remember that. But but I've actually seen this movie a couple times in theaters. And uh, the the one that that is the other personal story is uh, this is the movie that I proposed to Jamie at. Aww. So... Uh, now, now, it will totally fit my character when you hear how the proposal went. 1989? No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you were In you the were year ready. of Jamie's birth, yes. <laughs> you got me a pedo. I'm nine years old. I'm proposing to this baby. But uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead was... before any other man touches her. She's mine. <laughs> but one of the things they do here every summer now is they have like a, a big screen that's in uh, the biggest park we have here in the city, Assiniboine Park. And they will show on Fridays and Saturdays like double shots of movies. And uh, there was one where, and this right on time, I'm like, oh, I think I'll propose. Ah, might as well propose. <laughs> and uh, Last Crusade was so a movie cold. showing. So, <laughs> so basically... How long, you, sorry, sorry, how long have you been together at that point? Uh, maybe four years. No, I might as well propose. <laughs> <laughs> might, might as well. But, but uh, How did she not uh, propose? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> she did multiple times. Did no. really? I said no. Uh, no, I don't remember. She probably did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Probably drugged me and tried to drag me to a chapel at Hence some point. why he had children. <laughs> I don't remember. What did we do to but, have uh, <laughs> But But I remember that uh, the I'm like, okay, so I just basically I'm like, I'm not going to do anything you know, nice or romantic. I'm like, I just want it to be a surprise. You know, I don't want her to guess this. <laughs> so, the best story ever. <laughs> so I, I play and I'm like, I asked my sister and brother-in-law to come because I'm like, my sister's seen this movie. I think every time that, every time that I had seen this movie in theaters, my sister came with me. So basically like, okay, so Jamie, I'm, I'm going to go watch this, you know, with Chelsea and Burns, you want to come along. <laughs> so, so it doesn't feel like I'm planning anything. And uh, did they know? Basically, the, the, they did know. Yeah. So the first thing that happened is that there was like a thunderstorm, like in the distance coming. And I remember my brother-in-law turning around and, and looking at me several times, like you want, cause it started to rain at one point and looking around, like, do, do you, you want to go through, you want to come up with a backup plan? And I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. And uh, the, really we, other than a couple of drops, we didn't get hit. And the funny thing is after on the way home, I'm like, wow, it rained. Every, it was literally like th this movie <laughs> there. There's like some type of storm that's being parted like uh, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever. But my entire plan was basically that uh, I'm not even going to do it in the middle of the movie. The movie ends and we're walking back to the car and I had already orchestrated. So I'm going to pretend I lost my keys. So I'm like, oh, I lost my keys. 
So we have to go back and then I'm digging around all these things and trying to find it. And, and I'm passing Jamie things. Oh, maybe it's in my pockets here. And at this point, like the majority of the people have left. I'm like, here, take this. And I'm like, oh, and there's my wallet. Just hold this. And I'm like, oh, and here and then I just drop a ring in her hand. And I'm like, oh, and here, here we go. And I'm still pretending I'm looking for my keys. And then she's like, what? Like she, she basically got it at that point. But uh, I was Did basically act- going for this. I literally pulled a practical joke in my proposal of, oh, I lost my keys. Here, hold this ring. But look, I look honestly, as a man who's proposed twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I that's cute. I like that. But like the thing is, when you handed her that, did you then like ask her the question, or did you just go, "Yeah, cool." So when do you want to set a date? Like, I mean, like it's very Colin. It was it, was. it was. It was kind of more the latter. I mean, it was probably maybe a little bit in between. I don't think I ever has asked the question because she just got it right away. Uh, because she's probably been waiting yes for four years. <laughs> she probably answered yes before she's I was able to you. ask anything. Like, to, but what was her reaction? Was she all like, "Oh my god, oh my god"? Was she just like, "Oh, finally"? I was just like, "Sure." No, it was more excitement and like giggly or whatever. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's my other last crusade story. Aww. But uh, there you, you you now have insight into that's the, so the closest sweet. thing Colin does to be romantic. I like that. So basically, you proposed to Indiana Jones. Your honeymoon was James Bond. Yes. <laughs> um. So the wedding was Star Wars, was it? <laughs> uh. You know what? I I think we there. Okay. So uh, did I tell this on the Die Hard episode? I don't remember. But uh, when we were planning like the music to walk down the aisle, one of my friends had had it where they walked down the aisle to the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, like after the wedding. Uh, and I wanted something like that. But Jamie's like, oh, something that at least sounds traditional. So we end up picking Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, like Ode to Joy, which mm. is the da, 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 yeah. da, da, which is like an unofficial diehard theme. So I guess I, I technically could say proposed Indiana Jones. Walk down the aisle to die <laughs> honeymoon to James Bond. Well, yet my vows had James Bond, Star Wars, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and we know how that turned yeah. out. But the one I would love to walk down an aisle to, should I ever do that again, is um the ceremony scene at the end of Star Wars. You know, dun, oh yeah, that's sweet, Colin. That's nice. Ah, I I really. Next time I talk to Jamie, though, I'm going to get her viewpoint, and I also want to know how many times she did propose to you beforehand. <laughs> so that's good. And I'm glad you only had to do it once. That must feel nice. Yeah, so far. Yeah. It's still time to blow it. Literally, if I... if I, I if, When you guys get divorced, you're not getting married again. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. Um, if, if I'm ever to do it again, I need to be with someone who can definitely accept the joke that... As soon as I announce on social media that I'm engaged, I'm literally going to post third time lucky, right? Question mark. Um, and they have to get play along with it because that is my sense of humor. And that is what I'm going to do. So <laughs> when you become single and we get engaged, you're, you're dealing with that post. All right. Um, now I do, I do have another uh, story to share at some point later in this movie, not as personal level one, but uh uh, I don't. I guess just quickly covering a little bit of the uh, background of this movie. Like I said, five year gap hadn't really that wasn't a thing in Hollywood to take that long to make a movie. And we already talked a little bit last week about like Temple of Doom and the negative response to that, and even just the the negative feelings that Spielberg and Lucas had towards that, wanting to do something different. But despite the fact it took them five years to make this, they were developing it very quickly afterwards. And uh, the, the reason I have figured that out is because. 
the original plot for this, which I don't know if you're even aware of it, was that they were going to do a haunted house type thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the the castle that you see in this movie was actually modeled after the original plans that there was going to be kind of a haunted house theme, which, as I mentioned, like the young Indiana Jones TV series kind of did something similar to that in one of the episodes. Uh, but the main reason they decided not to do it is because Spielberg had been involved with Poltergeist. And he says, I don't want to do another haunted house type movie or another ghost story, which is so bizarre because his contribution to this was, I really want to do a father and son story because I've never done a movie about <laughs> kids with daddy issues, but never. no haunted house for a second time. Uh, Lucas's contribution was that uh, he wanted the Holy Grail. And this is something he apparently pitched even for Temple of Doom. He wanted to use this as the device of the movie. And Spielberg didn't think that there was enough to go off of that. It's like, well, what are you going to do with the Holy Grail? Like it, it's a cup. Sure, it gives you eternal life. It's not as exciting as an arc or magic stones or something like that. And Lucas basically said, let me see what I can do with it. Let me write up a treatment and see if it works. And he did that. And Spielberg was like, oh, that's okay. But can you find a way to incorporate the father thing? And Lucas was like, yeah, but how do you work the father thing into the Holy Grail story? And then Spielberg was like, well, what if it's not a search for the Holy Grail? What if the father's looking for the Holy Grail? And Indy's just looking for the father. And that's when they kind of clicked in like, oh, we get it now. That's what this movie's going to be. And I, I think that that's something that maybe they missed a little bit in Temple of Doom was that there was too much focus on what the object was that the, they're after with these stones and seeing all the magic. And really what the Indiana Jones movie should be about is that the object's almost irrelevant. I mean, if you look at the first movie, it wasn't about Indy trying to find the Ark. You know, Indy was basically well he was trying to find the ark but this wasn't his obsession you know it was he was the hired gun because marion's dad was dead and then the second one he lucked into it and this one it's the father so it, it, it's it's just interesting that as much as they intentionally did especially spielberg wanted to go back and kind of revisit raiders with this with some of the characters the setting middle east desert and all that uh it wasn't an immediate thing where they're like, this is what an Indiana Jones movie is because they wanted that every movie to be different. And they just sort of lucked into, they all had these different ideas. They couldn't figure out how to make it work. And then somehow those ideas gelled together and gave us the perfect sequel to Raiders. It's, um, yeah, I, look, I can see that. And like, to your point a week ago where you said, you know, Temple of Doom feels the most different. Like I can see that to a point, but I still would argue that these all still feel like the same tone to me because- Again, I'm putting an argument out there right now for people who hate on the aliens in the next one. You literally have them chasing a magic cup that has powers <laughs> of eternal life and they meet a guy who can live forever in a tomb uh, who has been sitting there forever because he drank a magic cup of water. But no, aliens are too far. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm calling more bullshit on this. Um, so, yes, Stop complaining about the aliens. Which, can I just point out right now, because I'm going to forget about this in the movie. Is Indiana Jones now a mortal because he drank out of that cup? No. I mean, well, I was going to save that for the end of the movie, but I think that's one of the things you miss, that not just you, other people kind of misunderstand about this movie. The cup has healing powers, you know? That's, that's why that knight is very aged, and even still, he's aged enough that even with the cup, he's like, I'm ready to drop dead. This is something where... It will heal you at that moment. Maybe Indy gets another six months on his life from drinking from the cup, but you would have to always be drinking from the cup in order to live forever. I think that makes sense. Thank you. But like, I think the thing that, I mean, I really enjoy this film. Um, I would just say that obviously. Um, and I think that what really works in this and sells it 
out of the three of them is the chemistry. And it's not obviously yeah. between the man and the woman. It is between Sean Connery and Harrison Ford because this is one of the most perfect castings you can ever do. And can I also just want to point out one thing before I forget in saying this too. Love Sean Connery, but he aged so quickly. I'm saying it's a bad thing because he's a very attractive older man. But he was James Bond six years prior to this. I'm not saying he looked young in Never Say Never Again, but he still was James Bond six years prior to this. And now he looks like, you know, he should be 80 years older than he was in Never Say Never Again. So, uh, but I mean, I think he just, he got to a point in the 80s where he was just like, oh, fuck it, I'm attractive. I'm just going to let it grow out. Um, but I mean, Haunted House would have been interesting, but surely that would have been worse than Temple of Doom. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know how that would have fit into it, but. I guess they went heavy on the Nazis in this one when they didn't want Nazis yeah. in the previous one, right? But, I mean, little things that I noticed, which obviously we'll talk about when the movie starts here in a second, but it's like, obviously I mentioned the second one, they like went full all out, here's the Indiana Jones logo, Temple of Doom and everything. With this one, they went back to the Raiders and they just the, sort mm-hmm. of the simple writing, everything along those lines of that. And I, I, I always forget that kind of this opening is with like a young Indian. It's kind of, it's that George Lucas needless backstory, isn't it? Like, it's sort mm-hmm. of, oh, this is how he got his hat. This is how he got his whip. This is why he's afraid of snakes. Um, which is it? Did River Phoenix was he alive still? Did he play any young Indiana Jones? Like, did they actually keep no, him on? Like or? when they did the TV series, they had a different actor, Sean Patrick Flannery. Because um, uh, I think River Phoenix had started to become a big star at that point. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we did go haunted house. I don't know how that would be Indiana Jones. Like, I said that in the first one: ghosts versus aliens. I'm team ghosts. I uh, team aliens. Sorry, not team ghosts. So. There's two two movies that I've I've seen one of them. I've never seen Aliens, but I've seen Ghost. So there you go. Uh, you see dead people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you see. Don't bring that movie up. Overrated. Oh, that's right. You have you have issues with that. I just don't get uh, it. It's just not that good. It's 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 a good it's a solid movie. I mean, Shyamalan's done much worse. It's not his best. Science is his better best. We talked well. about last year. Anyway. Yeah. Well. Uh, I guess. We'll we'll cover a lot of the trivia throughout uh, the recap here, but just quickly, I guess on the uh, the casting for the movie. I mean, other than Dem- Denim Elliott and um, John Reese Davies, who are coming Duty. back, kind of was De- Alison Duty, <laughs> uh, which I, I guess let's let's talk about her really quickly for a second. I mean, she was Jenny Flex a few years prior to this, uh, but she was like only twenty one years old when she made this movie. I think twenty one, twenty two years old. Uh, and it was written as a doctor. I mean, this is already way more believable than the female doctor or scientist that they had in A View to a Kill. Christmas uh, I Jones. I guess that's something. Christmas Jones, way more convincing than Christmas Jones. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, they just decided, yeah, let's go with her. Maybe she she looks old. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she looks that old, but she doesn't look 21. Uh, she, she more, I guess, plausible than tanya roberts uh who may or may not be dead we're not entirely sure <laughs> uh, but uh the um uh the the cassie and julian glover we uh did talk to him a little bit about that and i mean it's i guess the most well-known trivia about him in this movie is that he had auditioned for the other nazi officer uh who's kind of the, the i guess the lead henchman in this that has the big fight with harrison ford and they called him up and said yeah, I don't remember if he even told us if it was George Lucas who called him back or whatever, just said, yeah, sorry, we decided we're not going to go with you for that role. But would you be interested in maybe playing the lead villain in this? So uh, he kind of lucked out, I guess, being a friend of George Lucas. And there's another uh, George Lucas alumni here from The Empire Strikes Back who uh, we're going to talk about Jar-Jar a little Binks. bit later. In the- 
Jar Jar is in this. Well, I did mention that I, I personally believe that Marcus Brody is kind of the prototype for what George Lucas was going to do with Jar Jar Binks. There's a lot of points in this movie where there's very Jar Jar moments with him. Uh, but yeah, Julian Glover obviously, you know, uh, had worked with George Lucas before and uh, kind of came in here along with a lot of other uh, Empire Strikes Back people. And uh, as you had mentioned, River Phoenix. Uh, River Phoenix actually stumbled into this movie because of Harrison Ford's recommendation. And I guess he had played Harrison Ford's son in a movie called Mosquito Coast, which uh, I remember seeing that like one time, like years and years ago, like when I was a teenager. And uh, I don't remember River Phoenix being it, but I remember being a decent movie, but he basically played his son in that movie. And when they were casting the young Indiana Jones here, Harrison Ford basically said, if you really want somebody who's like a young me, get this River Phoenix kid. And this is before he had really you know, made it big. He would make it big a couple of years after this and really died only a couple of years after this. But uh, Harrison Ford basically said, this is this is the kid. And uh, I think he nails playing a young Harrison Ford. Like, yeah. I love Sean Patrick Flannery, who plays young Indiana Jones in the TV series, but he was really playing young Indiana Jones and not young Harrison Ford. Uh, River Phoenix plays young Harrison Ford so well. You, you almost believe that this is Harrison Ford at the age of, what, 14, 15, whatever he's supposed to be here. Yeah, and I mean, did Harrison Ford ever say that about Alden Einreich, whatever his name is, for Solo, or did he just completely distance himself from that oh, project? <laughs> I love Alden Ehrenreich. I, I, I think we both kind of agreed that he was very good as yeah. uh, young Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you that so River Phoenix was in Stand By Me, wasn't he? Um, yeah. And look, I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. He probably have. He's probably one of these ones, if I looked at his filmography, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that. But, I mean, I was a little too young to ever really know the impact of him dying back in the day. I know more about his brother because I'm a big fan of his brother. But, mm. yeah, it's kind of cool that he's in this. And I think that, yeah, he definitely does play... Uh, a very good young Harrison Ford. There's, I think this moment we'll get to obviously shortly just in the beginning. There's sort of that real opening section, which he really does kind of have that swagger and appeal about him, which I still at times in solo struggle with Alden to kind of see completely. Um, but it's it's interesting with like the villains in this film because, y- you know, like no disrespect to our dear friend Julian, but like, I mean, I don't know if he's super, like he's kind of like in Bond. It's kind of like he's a great actor and he kind it's the of, same character. Yeah. Like he just kind of just does something better, but I don't know. Like at the end of the day, to me, the villains aren't a strong point of Indiana Jones. Maybe no, like it's sort of it. Cause you don't, I mean, I remember Kate Blanchett and I've only ever seen that movie once. So, you but know, do we remember that because she's Kate Blanchett? Yeah, probably. I mean, doesn't her don't her eyes like catch fire or something, and she like burns from the eyes or something like that? I seem to remember that. But um, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> duty. Um, I like the one thing actually because it again been so long since I've seen this movie, and when she came on screen, I'm th- I kept like I couldn't remember her entirely, but I'm thinking like, isn't she evil? And like, there's just something about me that I'm just like, I'm pretty sure she's evil. Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, hey. She's evil. But I actually, like, one thing I didn't really remember is the Nazis play a huge part in this film. Yeah. Um, so I kind of didn't, uh, didn't, wasn't aware of that. But was Harrison Ford just always, uh, Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, I often confused. Was he, like, the only one considered to play Harrison Ford? He was, Spielberg basically said, this is the only choice. Uh, and I don't know whether they looked at potential backup actors in case he turned it Roger down. Moore? Oh, Roger Moore, George Lazenby. Oh, Junior. George... Come here, Junior. <laughs> I dare say, Junior, I've been shot. 
Gets me the holy grail. <laughs> uh, that would have been amazing. But uh, no, I mean, Spielberg basically said from the beginning, Sean Connery was the only guy. And uh, from all the stories that uh, they told through uh, through the years, it doesn't sound like it was that hard to get him in the movie. And it, this would be, I think, the same year that, or within the year after this, that he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in The Untouchables. But The Untouchables, I don't think, had come out at this point. So Connery at this point was still just that guy who played James Bond. He, he was the best James Bond, but he wasn't really known for a many other things other than Highlander, which had come out a few years earlier. But Highlander yeah. was like low-budget sci-fi. It was a cult film. Yes. Zardoz is Sean Connery is Henry Jones Sr. <laughs> but he actually, like, he honestly, like, he, he he's having more fun in this movie than I would argue mm. uh, every one of his James Bond films. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe Goldfinger. At least since Thunderball, yeah. Yeah, like, he just, he just he's, he's living it up. And it just, it made me smile to see Sean Connery happy in a film. Like, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, look at him go there. But... I mean, I will say one thing, which I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion. Sean Connery just basically plays a damsel in distress in this movie. He doesn't really do a lot, but it's still fun. Like, I'm not taking that away from him. It's kind of going what we're talking about, um, you know, Willie last week. It's sort of like it's it's still fun. It's yeah. not to disparage it, but, like, I, I, I would look at this as, you know, I'm definitely on the taking Indiana Jones out of Raiders of the Lost Ark, nothing changes argument. I'm definitely on board with that. I could like I, I get it. There's probably more Sean Connery in this because I get it. his diary. He's the one looking for the Holy Grail. I get all that, but ultimately, you know, outside of that, there's that's not a whole lot of purpose to him in this movie. But I'm still glad he's in this movie. I think that's the genre, though, and yeah. that's maybe the thing that people have gotten so caught up in this whole Big Bang Theory thing is that the Indiana Jones movies are they're they're movies that take place in the past. They're involving these massive artifacts that could change the world or you know lead to world domination but because they're based in history and history never went that way it's sort of the point for him to just discover these things and never for there to be any use because really i would make the argument that indy accomplishes more in raiders than he did in temple of doom because temple of doom okay maybe he accomplished something in the end but then it's all undone five minutes later and same thing with last crusade i mean what really changes in last crusade uh, the knight dies. That's it. <laughs> and oh, it does doesn't he even die. Yeah. Yeah. He just digs through the rocks and he finds the grail again. Yeah, he's but, literally uh, staring at him. They all leave and he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Could they not have killed me? I'll get the cop. Let's go back to my seat. Yeah. And I wonder if Dial of Destiny is going to be the same thing. I mean, I think one thing uh, to, I guess, touch on quickly is the, the, the Holy Grail being the artifact they're looking for in this one. Uh, much like what it seems like Dial of Destiny is, this is sort of the beginning of, we want to take a historical artifact and we want to basically create the supernatural element of it. The, 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 the idea of the Holy Grail really just goes back to like the, the King Arthur times and they could have used Excalibur in this movie. <laughs> that, that's basically the uh, equivalent. And it's funny because as I was watching this, I was thinking, could they have just done this with something else? Like, could it have been Excalibur? Because this is all involving like the whole Crusades, uh, King Arthur and all that. And uh, I discovered there was apparently one graphic novel or, or several mentions of Excalibur that was in Indiana Jones, but that almost would have made it a more interesting thing. But I think that's kind of the point of these movies, everything post Raiders is that whatever object they're looking for is completely irrelevant. It's like, Oh, this object can change the world, but dial of destiny. Uh, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more next week as a preview, the artifact they're looking for in that it's basically fictionalized. I mean, I, I, I had to, do some digging to find out that it's huh. loosely based on a completely different artifact that has no, you know, powers or anything like that. It was literally just 
a mathematical device that helped them plan out like lunar orbits and eclipses and stuff like that. And they said, well, let's create a fictional thing kind of based on this. So uh, the Holy Grail to even Kingdom of Crystal Skull, I mean, there are these incredible skulls, but they kind of invent the power behind it. So um, this is sort of the beginning of let's go a little bit more fantasy and a little bit more fictionalized and forget about the history so much. The first two, especially the first one is very much about like, oh, we're, we're going to talk about the actual history of this that's known and with this one, it's like, ah, uh, yeah, so there's a cup that people say existed, and it's mostly written in fictional stories. Let's just pretend it's a real thing. And again, my point about people getting shitty about aliens is that aliens. they literally, <laughs> at this point, the Nazis want to get the Holy Grail to, like, take over the world. I mean, but that's completely but they? fine. Well, isn't that what Julian Glover explains? Like, if we have I think this he, and... he, Because what he says at the end of the movie is that the Nazis just want it for the bragging rights. And he says, I want this cup for the glory. I want this for eternal life. So he almost implies the Nazi have no interest other than just being the ones to discover this. I will say again about our dear friend Julian Glover that, and I'm jumping way ahead. This is right at the end of the movie. We talk about it when he dies, but like he is a very dumb villain. Like he is very, very dumb with <laughs> yeah. how he does what he does, um, which, yeah, is, is, is crazy to me to think that. But um, yeah, I think like, Alison Duty. I, I she, I, I think she's kind of a. Well, she's not really any of the first two. Like I think what the Indiana Jones does mm. well is that they kind of have three very unique female leads. You know, you kind of have your your tough badass who turns into a damsel of distress. You have your damsel of distress who's annoying but has character growth, and then you've kind of got this. I don't know, like. Strong, she's one thing turns out to be another yeah like strong type like you know a bit of a precursor for like a, a good bond sort of turn here with this mm. um so there yeah you go. it's electra exactly one thing actually i want to ask this question to and again we've got a couple hours to think about this is this the first ever movie to have a former james bond villain shoot a former james bond that isn't their james bond villain to james bond in their movies if that makes sense so not only do I believe it is, but um, the trivia that I read, and I'd love to have a gun expert to confirm this, is that uh, Julian Glover shoots Sean Connery with a Walther PPK, ah. which must have been intentional. <laughs> I just I just wanted him to be like, Roger was a better Bond than you, bang! <laughs> oh, shut your shot, me. <laughs> Uh, we'll jump into the movie here. Um, and then, like I said, I've got lots of trivia to kind of uh, sprinkle throughout this. But uh, The Last Crusade, the, the the opening title, as you mentioned, it's not fancy. And uh, you did mention last week, I don't even think we followed up on it, that, that it was called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, this Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that they never renamed it Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Although I think most of the, uh, or at least some of the VHS releases did have the box title is Indiana Jones and the yeah, Raiders, but my, the title of the movie never. I think my DVD, because my box set was like the Indiana Jones quadrilogy, and I'm pretty mm. sure on the separate cases it had Indiana. Like even when I titled these episodes for for the show, I didn't call it Indiana Jones and the. Yeah. I mean, I think I did on the graphic, but like for the actual episode, yeah. So like I always, and that's such a George Lucas thing, right? Like how many people complain? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not a New Hope. It's just called Star Wars. Yeah, because, I mean, A New Hope, he literally changed the name of the movie in all future releases. Here, he's like, ah, we'll just promote it under this. Uh, but we're, we're basically right back to Raiders, you know, opening uh, on an actual, it's not a gong this time, it's a real mountain. Uh, they're in Utah. We get the simple titles, we get the Boy Scout trip here, 
And I guess this was written in because of Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg both had like a history in the Boy Scouts. Were you a scout? Uh, that's where Harrison. I well, I, I never quite made it to scout. We had uh, the lower form of it here. <laughs> the low, I say lower form, but like the entry was like beavers. I, oh, you and that was what, what I was in. I was yeah. I, well, we had a similar thing. I was in Cubs, and so I was in Cubs for a few years. I became like a leader in Cubs. I was like cool, and then you get to I think like. 14 or 13 and then you progress to scouts and i did it for like a month and i hated it so i stopped i, I liked <laughs> cubs because i had friends there and was like in control whereas scouts i was at the bottom and nobody liked me so i was like yeah fuck this shit <laughs> so just like with me with everything i gave up so that that's that's how survivor oz ended too <laughs> yep didn't get my way so i threw in through the toys out of the pram and just kept the good old yeah. looks and here we are all these years later with no listeners so remember when we had listeners uh uh, I'm sure somebody's listening right now. Uh, I, I, I love getting emails when people are like, can I have an old episode of Survivor Oz? I love that show. And I'm like, well, you know, we still exist, right? Would you like an old episode of like our third watch coverage or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was I was uh, just messaging an old listener of our show um, recently, Isaac Brower. Oh, yeah. And uh, Isaac had uh, mentioned, oh, yeah, I still listen to the Oz Network. If you refer to Survivor Oz, I still listen to the Oz Network sometimes. And then the next thing he said was, yeah, I just recently listened to the cast rankings again. <laughs> I think he, he was uh, he was a Patreon for a month and downloaded all our episodes. So he's got yeah, all, he all of them. Got everyone. And reminder: That's if you the, like Survivor, go ahead. They're still they're still there. So. Um, you know, that's I love how when we advertise that, hey everyone, you can get Survivor Rolls episodes thinking that would make us money. Yep. Uh, that did well. <laughs> But if anybody does want those, you're going to have to pay us. Exactly. I'm such a dick now. Like like a, two years ago, people were like, Ben, I really want the Cass McQuillan interview or I really want the Greg <laughs> Buist interview. Sure. Okay. Here it is. Now, literally they write to me. Oh, I'm like, pay for it. <laughs> $3 for a single month. But like, literally, we don't even get do all that. $3. You can literally do that. Like literally, yeah. like if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, fuck that asshole, Ben, he won't give it to me. Like, I, no, I won't give it to you for free. But like literally pay for one month, take your time Download all the episodes and then unsubscribe, and you have them. Like we've Isaac got, Brower it. There's a, there's Isaac Brower it. Like we've, there's 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 a loophole in our system here that we are flawed in doing, but it's that simple. So there you go. Mm -hmm. That's how to cheat the system. But but this opening is quite clever. The way that they don't reveal the time period it's in, they don't even reveal India. In fact, it's the opposite. They kind of fake you out here. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's going into a cave. You just see the shadows of the the, the kids or whatever. And then you see the guy from behind with the fedora and the leather jacket. And of course, he's digging for something. So you're like, this must be Indy. And then all of a sudden, it says 1912. And you see uh, the, other, the other kid here uh, calling him Indiana or whatever. And here we get introduced to River Phoenix. Uh, we have uh, the, the, I guess these are supposed to be bad guys, but they're really not because they're I'll Indiana Jones guys. Uh, yeah, they are Indiana Jones guys, but there's even other characters movie the Indiana Jones compliments for doing the exact same thing. But um, he, they're basically finding this cross. This is supposed to be some type of artifact. And Indiana Jones just sort of muttering himself, oh, that belongs in a museum. <laughs> and uh, as he's telling his friend here, you know, you got to go find the sheriff. You got to go find our, our uh, Boy Scout leader. And you got to bring the cops here. And then he's got the snake. Ooh, and Indy, something the audience would never expect, picks it. It's only a snake and throws it off to the side. Uh, as they keep, the other guys keep digging, the villains keep digging. Uh, Indy steals the cross, he tries to escape, and he breaks a beam. Uh, and then we have a bit of an escape scene. And it's like, oh, he's got the cross after him. Wahahaha. <laughs> We're evil. <laughs> 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 
but uh, this is where we get the video game level you mentioned, which yeah. I honestly don't know if I ever got past this level. It was hard. <laughs> the only level. It was very well, no, hard. There was the next one after this when you're on the ship during the 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 storm or whatever too. So yeah, two levels. This is classic old school video games. Yeah. Only. Like the first level is impossible to beat. Yeah. And it's also because like I remember like you're climbing along like the train and then there's like like giraffes pop up, don't they? And I think like the run, like there's mm. all the animals and everything too. Like it was, it was because I, I, I don't know if we talked about it during Star Wars, but like I remember there was like an Empire Strikes Back video game on like SNES or something mm. like that. That was really fucking hard. One of the James Bond ones, I think like A View to a Killer, they were hard. People yeah. don't. People never. You ever play Michael Jackson's Moonwalker? That was hard. Like I mean, people, Jamie. Uh, kids these days don't understand how hard video games used to be. Jamie for Christmas got me. Uh, it's a collection of all the the classic Ninja Turtles games. Like mm. it has the arcade games, the uh, Nintendo games, and um, the Game Boy games, which you're actually playing like monochrome Game Boy games. And there's that, that it's everybody's probably seen it now. That one meme where it's basically saying like, I told my kids I'd buy them a PS4 if they beat this game. Yeah, and it's yeah, the yeah. Ninja Turtles game for NES, which I, I've been playing that on and off since Christmas. And I still haven't there's, passed the first level. Uh, again, I love watching like the Watch Mojo top tens and they, they there's plenty out there, like top 10 hardest video games. The, the famous one, I think was Mike Tyson's boxing. I think, wasn't it? Where like, you oh, got yeah. to Mike Tyson. Um, and yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I mean, we talked about Jurassic Park. There was a Jurassic Park one. I like again time recording this. I'm going to Tassie this weekend, so I'm going to get my little emulator thing together because it just it makes me want to play all these games. But um, like I love video games. I still play them. I have a PlayStation Five, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, games can be challenging, but like games, spoon fed to you now. Like and and even if yeah. you can't like get past a level, get your phone out, YouTube, how to get past this level, and you just watch a walkthrough. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's how you do it. Boom, let's let's fucking fix it. You didn't do that in like 1989. <laughs> like you, I, I remember having to buy, like I, I, I'm a collector. So I'd always buy like the official guide. I'm a big Grand Theft Auto guy. So whenever I would buy a Grand Theft Auto game, and I still do, I will buy like the beautifully published, like Rockstar, you know, thick Bible, which is just like a walkthrough and secrets and everything like that. But I remember like back in the day with like Perfect Dark and GoldenEye, uh, you know, all those types of games, you would buy the official guide and like it would mm-hmm. help you. But even then, they were sometimes very, I remember getting a Zelda one for Ocarina of Time. It was very fucking hard to understand. You're like, what? You look at a picture of like Link standing there with a green fucking fairy. Hey, listen. And you're like, kind of, I can remember that. And then like, you just, that Navi haunts me to this day. Anyway, tangent, video game for this was hard. Yeah, Casper is very into Sonic the Hedgehog. And, yeah, me uh, too. That was my game as a kid. Yeah. Well, he's playing all the the classic games, like the the Genesis ones. Jamie actually has like the handheld Genesis mm. um, classic Sonic or whatever. Two was the best. Yeah. Well, that's that's his favorite as well. So hey, you Great guys game. are more alike than I realize. But he he spends the majority of his day when he's not playing any type of video games. The majority of his day is spent watching five hour long YouTube videos of walkthroughs and he'll go from level, level, level so that he can go and play the game and master it. I, I, look, I, it's a whole other kettle of fish to talk about the world of e-gaming. I'm sort of very indifferent about that world also because I'm just partly jealous because I've been playing video games my whole life and that's probably the one sport I could have actually gone and done something in if I had tried harder. But I, I, I as a Formula One gamer, the, the one sort of gaming channels I will watch are certain Formula One gamers and that's more just because I like seeing their insight and then just seeing what they do. I'm not huge on watching other video gamers play video games. I don't like Twitch or anything like that. But like, mm. there are things where you do get like it's just kind of like a background thing. You know, if you I don't know if you like you don't know, cook, Jamie does. But like, if you're doing something mundane, right? And like you're eating lunch, oh, I've got 20 minutes. I'm just going to put on a random YouTube video for 20 minutes. 
that's what I'm doing, like putting on a gaming one. But um, I'll play Casper at Sonic. He'll probably beat me. Do you know about the Gran Turismo movie coming out? I do. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's apparently, a true story about a video game player yeah, who actually was allowed well, to drive. There is there is a lot of stories around that because all the Formula One teams will have esports, you know, divisions, and uh, there have been a lot of these ones where people because. The thing with, like, say, Formula One teams, they have these very advanced simulators, which are essentially super elaborate video games. Um, and then if some people can kind of translate that into real world stuff, they can kind of do it. So I feel like us playing, like, button bashing, you know, Atlanta 96 video games is not going to make it a fast <laughs> runner. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I think we need to need for speed with Aaron Paul. Because isn't oh. Gran Turismo have Orlando Bloom in it? Yeah, Orlando Bloom and um, uh, who's the the other guy? David Harbour, uh, oh, yeah. Bond actor. Yep, yep. Uh, anyways, we'll get back to Indiana Jones here. So, anyways, we got the the, the train chase here. So, Indy's on train. It's the circus train. Uh, there's just a, a bunch of fun gags, and this is uh, I I think obviously lightening the tone right <laughs> out of the box here uh, with the, the rhinoceros horn that comes up, and uh, obviously Indy falling into the pit of snakes. Uh, one really creepy moment though, where he pulls the snake out of his pants. <laughs> We've we, all we done that. Obviously, we get the crocodiles. There is one part though, right before he lands in the the barrel of snakes, where he just sort of tumbles down, and there's that one snake <laughs> with the fangs that comes out, which looks so fake. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it looks terrible. Very hand puppet, but obviously the the most uh, famous part about this is uh, the the lion. Mm. So he grabs the whip and he tries to you know tame the lion here, and it comes back and hits him in his chin to basically have a moment to explain how Han Solo or Han Solo uh, Indiana Jones, the other one, got his scar. Uh, this is something that George Lucas obviously was going to have a lot of fun with during the prequels as well. Let's just show how this thing. How do the stormtroopers have bad aim? Uh, why do they bang their heads? All those little things like that. Uh, but it's such a fun uh, opening sequence here. And uh, when he's uh, ab- about to, you think, escape from the train, this is where uh, he encounters the not Indiana Jones, uh, the the bad guy here. And uh, he's basically saying, you got heart, kid, but uh, that belongs to me. It belongs in museum. Uh, he swings on. I don't even know what this thing is, but something on the side of the train tracks. It just swings. And uh, then he lands in, in a magic trunk and, I don't know how this works because, like, I understand how magic works. Like, I was obsessed with magic as a kid. Uh, I, I I met David Copperfield. I was part of oh. a magic club here in Winnipeg. Cool. We got to meet David Copperfield. So, I mean, I've always been obsessed with this. So, I know, like, all these illusions work. But, but like, this box, there's no trap door in the bottom of the train. So, <laughs> how he exits the bottom of the train and doesn't get run over, I don't know. Real magic, uh, Colin. It's real magic. This is, yeah. Because we know he had that power in Temple of Doom. So this is where he learned it here. Uh, but uh, Indy gets away and then he gets home and you see like the Jones residence. And it's not Sean Connery, but he walks in and he passes a dog. The dog, obviously, as we're going to find out later, is Indiana. And, is that a uh, husky dog, or a Malamute? I love that dog. It's a Malamute, which is the exact same dog that mm. George Lucas's Indiana was. So Cute George dog. Lucas literally put uh, this. His dog was dead at this point, but th- he oh. put Indiana, the dog, into the tone down. <laughs> And you know what? The Young Indiana Jones series actually had uh, it's it's a very brief scene, and I think the first episode where they're like, "Hey, look, Junior, we got a puppy for you," and it's a baby Indiana that he's playing with. And Aww. I think that's the only time that the dog is actually ever in the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, the dog's in here, and and he 
won't listen to Indy. Uh, he's trying to tell him, oh, I got something important to tell you. And he's like, count to 20. And he's like, in Greek. Count, count to 20 in Greek. <laughs> well, I, I love it. He, he's first very dismissive. Count to 20. And then he's like, oh, one, two. In Greek. <laughs> it's like, hmm. <laughs> I love how, like, we would have de-aging if this was a modern movie, right? But, like, yeah. <laughs> but I, like, I do love how they just, like, kind of do this and you've still got, like, a Sean Connery's voice. It's Connery's voice still, yeah. Uh, and then Indy's friend shows up here with this bullying. I put the shirt down. What is it with, like, 80s kids movies and always having the token fat kid? Like, I mean... Like, this is never taught. I'm sorry. Like, in this day and age of correcting history of the dumb blonde bimbo or the racial stereotype, where's the whole cry about the dumb fat kid stereotype? Don't be fat kids. I yes. was a fat kid, probably dumb. So, like, I'm offended. And you were in the Boy Scouts. I was. So, like, I'm offended. I was a strong male scout who rose to the leadership of Cubs. But, like, I don't know. Like, was it, um, uh, uh, what's the one with all the boys on the island? Um... The uh, Lord, of Lord of Flies. Thank you. We got like, was it like Piggy in that gets crushed by a rock? Oh, um, like everything. Like, look at the poor fat kid stereotype. The the Goonies. You have Chunk, who they literally, in order to, to let Chunk in the door, they make him lift up his shirt, jiggle his belly, and do a dance. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, you're right. We established with Sean, um, not Sean Aston, uh, Edgar in twenty four that he was like called oh, like yeah. chubby or whatever it was in the animal. Like I mean, <laughs> in all seriousness, like I mean, where's the discrimination about like the dumb fat kid? And it's not just boys. We, There's dumb fat girls in movies too. Rebel Wilson, right? Well, um, geez, we, you know what? I won't finish you know we just. <laughs> We just watched, uh, and I don't know why we're doing this ourselves. We're, we're Jamie Jay, and I are going to bed for the last two nights. We're like, I've never watched Ghost Rider with Nicolas Cage all the way through. <laughs> I'm already regretting it. We're like 45 minutes into the movie. But Melbourne. Rebel Wilson, well, well, that's probably why Rebel Wilson's in the movie because there's yeah. a scene where she's like in an alley and she's like girl in alley or something like that. I'm like, that's not Rebel Wilson yeah. <laughs> with one line in a Ghost Rider movie. It was back in like uh, the uh, the 2000s when. Still, it was a big deal to film now. It's just like, yeah, film in Australia, cool. But, like, no, that was... Because yeah. I think that was the big coup at the time because, obviously, Sydney had had Mission Impossible, Star Wars, um, and Matrix. I think... Yeah, and I think Melbourne got both Superman Returns and Ghost Rider oh, from yeah. memory. So I think that was kind of like, ah, Sydney, we got these blockbusters at... 20 years later, people don't care about. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, because Superman Returns was only Melbourne, if I'm not mistaken. I did forget about that one was Australia, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, fat kid here blows his trumpet. Oh, I built the sheriff. Oh. Uh, and then the sheriff comes in and he's like, oh, thank you so much for finding this, Indy. And he be, the, the its original owner was looking for it. And he goes out and hands it to some rich white guy. Uh, and then we got the not Indiana Jones in there uh, who's basically saying, you lost it, kid, but you don't have to like it. And he gives him the hat and then hat tilts down and when it tilts up we're That's 1938 cool and it's Harrison Ford it's fantastic uh, and Harrison Ford here is still shouting it belongs in museum and I love this guy here now the guy who basically is the owner of this cross so do you <laughs> <laughs> the most overacted part in this movie but this is what I have a problem with okay this guy hired somebody to find this cross he has his private collection. He's not using this to take over the world. So why is Indy not only stealing it back from him 34 years later, 36 years later, but murdering everybody on the ship? True. They're all dead by the end of this. I mean, you could say the storm has something to do with that, but there's a fight and then there's 
gasoline barrels that blow up and the guy's hat's floating and Indy gets away with it. Um, there's going to be another problem with this in a few minutes here. Uh, that we basically cut right back to the opening of Raiders here. Now he's in his classroom and uh, Marcus is coming in just like he did in the original movie. Uh, you still have the girls kind of looking at him flirty, but uh, it's, it, there's no I love you or anything. But th- this is another fun story. So uh, my, I have a cousin who is obsessed with Indiana Jones, like even more than I am. Like her all-time favorite movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Her all-time favorite actor is Harrison Ford. Um, when I'm at her house, she literally has the only VHSs she still has are Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson movies. She basically keeps the Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson collection. So basically like my collection, (laughs) it's me. That's what it is. But uh, this cousin, uh, when Jamie and I got married, this is so appropriate with Indiana Jones. uh, When we got married, she uh, brought a a gift for us and was wrapped. She says, okay, this is for you, Colin. She's like, I'm sorry, Jamie. We did get you something else too for you both to share, but Colin, this one's for you. And when I got home and opened it up, it was basically all of her young Indiana Jones VHSs oh, wow. that she gifted me. So I have all the the DVDs now, but I'm still holding on to those VHSs. So partly because each VHS came with its own little making of on like that individual story. But uh, so this cousin, she's so obsessed with Indiana Jones that when she went into university, she studied archaeology. So her <laughs> degree is in archaeology. And she basically told the story that this opening scene here is almost verbatim what her professor said the first day of university in archeo- for archaeology, whatever the class was, where he's like, if you're here because you think you're going to be Indiana Jones, you know, the whatever class is right down the hall, uh, all, almost all archaeology is done in a library. Basically, this exact same thing, minus the whole X never marks the spot, which will come up later in this movie. But I always thought that was hilarious. That this is actually something that they quote, don't expect it to be Indiana Jones. And they basically quote Indiana well, Jones in that. But you do have those professions with that as a case. I think after Jurassic Park, yeah. there was like an uptake in paleontology. And they were just Top kind gun. of like, yeah, exactly. And they literally have to be like, yeah, this isn't like what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, you know, after all these other journalism movies, that's why I got into it. I, I, super, I saw Superman. You know, I was just like, well, he's a journalist. <laughs> and the first day of journalism in school, you are not going to be Superman. And everybody walks out. <laughs> and you're the only one who stayed because you're like, can I still be Lois Lane? Hey, maybe. Can I get Lois Lane? Oh, no. definitely. Uh, depending on which Lois. Well, um, if I'm Colin, I'm staring down a shirt. <laughs> True story. I think we told that on an episode once. Not a metal uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Indy dismisses his class. There's no. Round nose or dropping an apple on his desk this time. Uh, but he's basically excited. This is the opposite of Raiders where he's like, oh, I almost had it. He's like, I got it. And then he hands him the cross. He says, you know how long I've been looking for this? And even Marcus says all your life. Uh, and Indy right here says something else. So let's go back to that first movie where he says, all right, dinner on you. Dinner and champagne on you, Marcus. So now they're having a romantic dinner. <laughs> champagne again. Yep. Uh, by the way, Denim Elliott, this is not me making a joke or anything. Denim Elliott who plays Marcus Brody, was married to a woman, but was bisexual and had just been diagnosed with AIDS around the time that this movie was being made and was starting to experience some sickness. So he basically, this is kind of like from Russia with Love with uh, with Pedro Armadiras or whatever, um, the guy playing Karen AIDS. He didn't have AIDS, but he knew he was dying, basically. So, But Denim Elliott's like, I'm going to finish this movie or whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah, rest in peace, Denim Elliott. We oh, will he did get die? Him, I guess. All right, was a spoiler there, but he survived. Died, yes. He beat AIDS. <laughs> He's still alive. Uh, but uh, we will have, I guess, two tributes to him in King of the Crystal Skull. 
Uh, but uh, Indy goes back to his office, and now he's got the flood of the students everywhere. Who are like, oh, I need this under this. Uh, and it's mostly women. I still noticed there's like one guy in there. It's mostly women. Uh, but he goes into his office. He says he'll take them all in one turn. There's a letter on his desk from Venice. Uh, he's, he hears all the chaos outside. He looks at the window. And I love that he just sneaks out the window. <laughs> the world's best professor here. Uh, so uh, as he's leaving, you got these guys, suspicious guys, who basically scoop him up and say, we need you to come with us. Uh, they drop him off at a party, and this is where we get introduced to our good friend, Julian Glover. Now, was Julian Glover, was that just an Oz Network interview, or did we air that one on, uh, or is that just no. 007, did we aired on the Oz Network I as well? I think we ended up co-sharing it on here, maybe. Oh, well, yeah. maybe we didn't, because that was we'll like our 100th episode, possibly. If we didn't, then our bad, go listen to it on 007. So. Yeah, look up 007 Julian Glover. You can even find it on YouTube. Great interview. We talk about indie and Star Wars and everything, but... Uh, I, I wish I had time to go back and I read this about an hour before we recorded. I wish I could have gone back to actually hear this, but apparently when Julian Glover walks in the room, it's either when he walks in the room or when his wife comes to get him. The piano in the background is apparently playing the Imperial March. Oh. Which I don't know if you can play it to hear that, but uh, if that's true, that's fantastic trivia. Uh, but uh, this is the exact same character he played him from Russia with Love. He comes in, from he's Russia a good guy. Love. Oh, Oh, sorry. For your eyes only. Didn't realize the other... he was in that, but he's <laughs> a man of many talents. <laughs> he's been in them all, but uh, it's the exact same character. But this is where it becomes a problem with the whole "it belongs in museum" and him killing those other people and stealing it. Because when Julian Glover comes in, he says, "Oh yes, you know, uh, I, uh, I have some fabulous pieces in my collection," and then he's like, "Well, I was looking at some of your collection. It's very nice." So this guy takes ancient artifacts. He's a private collector and Indiana Jones is applauding him. Very nice. Well done. I like this. But the other guys he murders for doing the exact same thing. They didn't do anything wrong. Uh, so hypocrite, Indiana Jones. Um, so he's basically showing him this tablet that he found. And it's only half of a tablet and his Indy's uh, reading the transcription on it. It's talking about a canyon, a crescent moon, Canyonero. a desert. Canyonero, Johnny Cash. <laughs> uh, and then it, it basically talks about uh, the, the Holy Grail. So uh, that's where you get like the pause. And he's like, oh, you've got the wrong Jones. My father's one you should talk to. And he says, well, we tried that. Uh, but fortunately, he's missing. Now, I can't believe I've never noticed this till now. The amount of times I've seen this movie, the amount of times I've seen The Lost World. This is the exact same scene as Ian Malcolm and, and John Hammond in The Lost World. Yeah. He brings him in. He basically lays out, hey, I've got this this plan, this team I'm putting together. We're going to uncover this. We're going to go to this island. Uh, we've already got somebody, and Indy or Ian Malcolm's like, uh, no, thank you, but let me contact this. Oh, by the way, it's your girlfriend or it's your dad. It's the exact same scene. I can't believe I never noticed this. I mean, I guess Indy takes it a little bit better, and we don't have Ludlow out the front going, careful, this suit costs more than your education. <laughs> education. <laughs> I love that line. Julie, Julian Glover is a much nicer guy than Ludlow. Yeah, that's uh, true. But I, I kind of like want, uh, as uh, Indy walks out, I need Julian Glover to kind of get his old man fingers and go like, one, two, three, and like, oh, <laughs> nod. Da, 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 da. A uh, lot of creativity from Spielberg. Uh, but... Um, the uh, the the other thing he mentions here is that like the knights from the Crusades that they had had the 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 Grail and that uh, they they would leave these markers that the tablets one of them but the other one is in Venice. Uh, so Indy's indifferent on whether he's going to go. 
And uh, him and Marcus, when they find out that his dad's missing, they immediately go to the dad's house and they find just one room ransacked. I love they walk in <laughs> the foyer, perfectly clean. And then they pull back the curtains and the living room's ransacked. Like maybe they didn't find the diary because they only looked in one room. I don't know. He's like, God, oh, um, I was in my top drawer of my dresser in my bedroom. Lazy. <laughs> And here it was under the mat with the key for the front door. <laughs> literally, there's a room called the diary room. It's literally like it's Big diary. Brother. It's literally a room. There's a table. There's a diary on it. That's all you have to do is open the door. It says it on the door. But, diary room. <laughs> but uh, this is where Indy actually says, wait a second. You know, he 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 mailed me this from Venice. And that's when he opens it and he sees this is the diary. Uh, you, you have the painting on the wall, which is the same drawing that's going to come up later if you notice that with uh, the guy walking on air across the the chasm. Mm. Uh, that's in the diary, but it's also on the painting on the wall here. And that's what the, the second challenge he's going to have later on. Uh, and that's where Indy says, uh, you know, call up Donovan and tell him that I'll take a ticket to Venice. And then Mark's like, tell him we'll take two. And we get your, your favorite, everybody's favorite, the flying sequence oh. here. But uh uh, it's a great intro. Like, there's so much that happens here. I mean, the young indie stuff, it doesn't need to be part of the story. But, I mean, this is, at this point, they're like, we're not connecting anything to the rest of the movie. This is officially a James Bond movie. It's a pre-title scene. Then you move on from that. But, I mean, even the plot just is like, it's really complicated at this point, but it's done so well. It's, I don't know if it's that complicated. I mean, at the end of the day, if I understand it, I don't see it's complicated. Um, In comparison to, like, Raiders or Temple of Doom, where it's like, hey, these are some stones. Go find them. We want to hire you to find this arc. This is like, oh, the dad is, you know, the the expert. And then the, the tablet tells this and we got to find another one. And now your dad's missing and all that. And the, the that, we're going to find out more how complicated it is later on with uh, Julian Glover's reveal. Another, I think I made it the very first one we did the couple weeks ago in Raiders that like, I always forget just like how slapstick these movies are and how like funny they are. And I think that like, again, even in this opening bit with River Phoenix, like when he jumps off the thing to the horse and the horse leaves and just even like the animal stuff and just all that kind of stuff. But like, again, you know, we, we talk, we live in this day and age where Marvel, DC, they're so quippy and so punny and it just, it gets overdone. But like, this has just got a correct balance of it, doesn't it? And it's like, it's, again, you go back and watch the Roger Moore films and yeah, some of them get very campy, but Again, this is just clearly like some level of style and escapism that kind of comes with that. And, uh, you know, it's it's sad that we kind of lost that in the James Bond films in the Craig era to the extent that, you know, we used to have. Although I'll argue that No Time Did I Inspect brought it back. But it's just it's just something about it that's fun and it fits the tone of these films that you can almost borderline call the Indiana Jones movies comedies. Like it's... I feel they are very close to being comedies. And I don't remember Kingdom of Chris Skull enough to remember if there's a lot of that in there. But, like, is there? You're muted, by the way, Boomer. Oh, no, you're Colin still... Nons. There you are. Yes. There. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> I was saying, yes, there is definitely lots of comedy in that one. Which, yeah, I mean, it's going to intrigue me how it turns out in uh, 2023 based on how, you know, everything is just kind of done like this. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot more to add that I haven't already chimed in on, on the, the animal chase stuff. Like, I, I mean, needless backstory, like... Do we really need to know why he's scared of snakes? Do we really need to know how he got his whip? Do we really need to know how he's got a hat? Like, it's... But, like, the thing that's good about this, it's done so quickly. And it's just yeah. kind of like, we don't have a whole fucking movie on this is how he got his dice. And, and like, literally, did anybody care about the dice? Like, no. Mm. Uh, whereas this maybe you know, are things that kind of there. But, yeah, these guys aren't villains. I like these guys. This, this is Indiana 
Jones and his gang, like in 1912 yeah. or 16, wherever we are. Um, like, and I like this guy. I like old man Indy. Like whoever this guy is, he's kind of cool. Who is he? Yeah, who is he? What's he doing? <laughs> um, but I'm gonna have to look it up. I don't even question the snake fear because, like, I think you don't need that. Like, I get why they're doing that bit in the cave of like it's just a snake and throws it away. But like, he literally falls into this pit of snake for like two seconds, and then he gets up and he's got a couple in his pants and he's just like, whoa, 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 like. <laughs> Why don't they lock him in a box for like five minutes of snakes or something? Like that would make more sense. I don't know. Like it just, to me, it's just so like a, oh, he fell into a thing of snakes for two seconds and threw one out of his pants. That's why he's scared of them. Like, okay, sure. That just, I don't know. There needs to be something more there to add to his snake fear. Um, Yeah, the boat scene's cool. You're right. Like he just kill, kills these people for no reason whatsoever. Um, Didn't realize he was in New York when you see him like fly to Venice you know, da, 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 da. like he's teaching school in New York. I thought he was being like London or something like that, but uh, I don't know. I, I Well, I'm trying to think if they ever identify where he teaches. I know that uh, like the TV, the young Indians TV series has it where Henry Jones, like his dad teaches at Princeton. So I don't know if it's supposed to be Princeton, but th- that's Jersey, no, Prin- isn't it? Well, New Jersey. I mean, he's, he's flying from New York, Jersey's right next door. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I don't, yeah, you generally would Maybe fly. it is Princeton. I mean, even if he was flying from Newark, which is technically New York, uh, New Jersey, it's right there. Like, you know, Newark Airport is closer to Manhattan than LaGuardia or JFK. So, you know, mo- a lot of people fly out of Newark out instead and you're flying out of Jersey. I don't know how I feel about Julian Glover's American accent, uh, but... <laughs> it's not that bad. It's fine. Uh, there's just always something jarring about, like, I get it. It's acting. People put on accents, but, like... It's just kind of like what you get used to with certain people. Like, I, I didn't realize Tom Holland was British for a very long time. Christian Bale did not know it was Welsh for a very long time. Uh, and even there was a period of my life, and we talked about this back when we did Tomb Raider, that I thought Angelina Jolie was literally British. Um, but I think there are just certain actors who, when it goes, like, you're so used to them being British. They're, like It's like Hugh Jackman. I just sometimes cannot take his American accent for real. Like I'm just like, it just sounds off when Hugh Jackman or Chris Hemsworth do an American accent. Um, his Canadian one. Yeah. <laughs> Who did a Canadian one? Wolver- well, Hugh Jackman Wolverine, his Canadian accent. All oh, right, yeah, because, well, yeah, okay, I forget he's Canadian. But, um, I mean, Julian Glover in a tux looks pretty good. So you, can, can, I, can I blow your mind here for a second? You can blow whatever you want with me. <laughs> I just was clicking on IMDb links and found this out. Uh, we have off air talked to another cast member in this movie. Oh God. Is this like what we're 24 where we realized we talked to the guy who killed David Palmer and uh, well, didn't even realize sort it? of. So uh, Donovan's wife, Julian Glover's wife in this movie is played by Julian Glover's actual wife. Who oh. was, she's still married to this day. When you remember when we interviewed Julian Glover, yeah. he was having trouble getting everything working and his wife was the one oh, getting nice. working. An actress from Last Crusade helped Julian Glover get his computer working for us. We interviewed him. Wow, look at that. We we the six degrees of separation and everything. I, one thing I'll say though, because like I mean, is this is this where like Julian Glover's all like, you got to be careful who you can trust. Like, oh, uh-huh, foreshadowing. Like, in all seriousness, Indiana Jones is basically accosted by like suspicious-looking men into a car. Come with us if you want to live. Taken to a place. Hello, I'm oh, sorry. Hello, I'm Julian Hello. Glover. <laughs> Um, why is he American though? Like he needs to be British. I get he's in New York, 
But like he's a Nazi, technically, sort of, uh-huh. working with him. But why does he need to be American? Like this doesn't this sound doesn't this play off better if he's like, hello, I'm Julian Glover. Yeah, I guess there's no need for him to be there's no need for him to be American. Uh we didn't mention this last week, but I mean sometimes there's just a sticking point where like, ah, it's gotta be this. And uh with Kate Capshaw, uh, she naturally had dark hair uh all the way up until when she made the movie. And when Steven Spielberg showed the screen test to Harrison Ford, he's like, yeah, this is the one, hire her. And when he showed the screen test to George Lucas, George Lucas said, yes, but does she come in blonde? Uh, <laughs> and he basically insisted it has to be a blonde. So maybe this was like the same thing with Julian Cover. Yes, but uh, can he be American? Because I guess they hadn't done an American villain yet. Belloc was what, French? Uh, we had Indians slash British in uh, the Temple True. of Doom, Nazis. Maybe they just wanted an American billionaire. Maybe, yeah. Um, and yeah, the 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 good point about why is everything ransacked? Um, but uh, yeah, da, 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 I love the, the maps. Can we just talk about the maps? I love the maps. Oh, we love the maps. Uh, and um, I, we arrive in Venice here, and we get the first of three mentions of Indy just landing. Ah, oh, Venice. <laughs> no like hovercraft or double take pigeons. I'm on board with that. Oh. <laughs> This is the best version of Venice ever depicted in film, maybe? Until 2006. Yeah, or definitely not the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen the next time Sean Connery went back it. there. Never seen it. Oh, it was bad. That was a la- I think that's still the last movie he ever made. No, he did that animated one, remember? That he well, got Well, like live action. Which I still which I still want to uh like cuz we remember that article was like ranking the Sean Connery films and that was like ranked yeah. the lowest even lower than Zardoz. I think they actually had Zardoz <laughs> quite high. But uh we need to do whatever the hell that like Scottish like movie animated movie his actual final film yeah yeah uh but this is where we get uh i mentioned all the way back in raiders indy doesn't really ever flirt we got a little bit of banter with willie but it wasn't really flirting (laughs) banter Uh, and here we where they're like where do we find this dr schneider where is he and then a a woman uh, a woman introduces hello dr schneider elsa schneider and this is where uh indy starts doing his flirting which is a little bit cheesy and i i i think it's just one of these things like in raiders all those deleted scenes where he was supposed to be a bit of a womanizer just didn't fit the character. And maybe it's just, just because that's my idea. The character doesn't fit it. But uh, him where, where she's like, oh, I, uh, you have your father's eyes. He goes, and my mother's ears. The rest belong to you. Like, it's just, it's, oh, it's. And what does she say? All cringe. the good bits are taken then? <laughs> all the good bits are spoken for. Yeah. That's where we needed him to be like, it was uh, a <laughs> uh, misunderstanding. <laughs> Looking down again. Uh, but I mean, I. I think because of where they go with her character and everything, it's it's fun to have it. But it's still, I just I don't know. This is the the least comfortable I think Harrison Ford is in this movie. This is kind of like his possession in the last one. Uh, so um, when she's basically giving them the rundown, oh, this is everything that happened. And at one point uh, when they're going to the library, uh, she refers to Indy as being giddy as a schoolboy or something like that. Or no, she said that the dad was as giddy as a schoolboy. And it's like, really? Are you sure? It's like. He was never giddy, even when he was a schoolboy. Uh, they, they take to the library where the last found him, there's a scrap of paper that he had that had Roman numerals on it. So she excused herself to see if they could stay a little bit late. And this is where Indy is talking to Marcus, and he's like, look, the Roman numerals of the paper, same things on the the, the mural or the painting or, or whatever on the windows. Uh, so they're trying to figure it out. Now, when she comes back, they actually let her in on it. They're like, yeah, so uh, this is a Roman numeral, so where's the other one? And they're looking around and they can't find it. And that's where Indy goes up and they literally have an X marks the spot, which is like you couldn't do an indie movie without eventually playing up on that cliche X marks the spot. So that's fun. 
Uh, <laughs> this is like, you talk about slapstick. This one always makes me laugh, even though it is so goofy, where he's trying to break <laughs> the tiles of the floor and you got the librarian guy where every time he stamps the book, that's where Indy's like, bang! Is that meant to be and Einstein? He looks like Einstein. But I don't know. Maybe it was Einstein still alive at this point. Oh, the 30s, <laughs> was he working right? in a library? But was he would he be working as a librarian in Venice stamping books? Probably not. I don't know. Uh, I, just, I, just a- I thought there was all Germans and Hitler in this movie. So I'm just thinking as Einstein. I don't know. It's a popular look in 1938. They all look like Einstein. Yeah, and Hitler. <laughs> give me the Einstein. And that's, they go, yeah. They, when they go into the barber, give me the Einstein or the Hitler. <laughs> that's, that's all the Germans wanted to look like. Uh, he died. Oh, he died in 1955. So, yeah, no, he was alive. Uh, yeah, okay, so this is him. We're going to say this is Einstein. Okay? <laughs> Einstein's not smart enough to realize a stamp doesn't make that. But I love after like the third time when Indy hits it, where he just sets it down. He's staring at it like waiting. Okay, do it, do it. Uh Indy crawls uh, through the floor. Elsa crawls in after him. He he had given the book to Marcus, basically, basically saying, "I'm not even going to trust Elsa at this point." Is it Elsa or Ilsa? I can't. Uh, uh, Jenny, duty. what it is? I it's Jenny Flex. Yes. Jenny duty. Uh, it is Elsa. Yes. Uh, Isn't so that from uh, Frozen? Frozen, yeah. Elsa and Anna. Um, I've watched those movies more times. <laughs> never, never seen them. Uh, when you have kids, uh, or when you allow your kids to watch something on the television, then <laughs> you'll see it. Even if I have kids, they're not watching what they want. <laughs> Just have like unlock the chain for an hour and set them in front of the TV. I, I'm literally the worst. <laughs> Whenever I've like babysit like my sister's kids, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we want to watch Peppa Pig." I'm like, "No, I'm watching the football. Oh. Shut up. Play your iPad." It, it, the more when you have less kids, it's easy. The more kids you get, the more impossible that becomes because they are going to be screaming even if. Casper picks Peppa Pig and Remy wants to watch Paw Patrol. So basically our trick is when we want them to stop arguing, we say, all right, it's daddy's turn to pick a show. And then I just pick Winnie the Pooh or something that I know they're all going to be quiet for <laughs> in about five minutes when they stop screaming. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I've got like on my computer, like Aru Monsters and Cat Dog and those sort of things. You think they'll appreciate those? Uh, well, Jamie's talked about that. Mo- What's that monster show you said? Aru Monsters is my favorite. Nicola, ah, ah, real monsters, what you probably would say. Yeah, I think Jamie even got a video game of that recently. Yeah, no, that's back I swear. In, yeah, she, yeah, that was a very short-lived Nickelodeon one. Like, I think it only lived two or three seasons, but that was always my, like, I loved all of them, like Rugrats, Hey Arnold, all of those ones, Angry Beavers, but, like, I I, I always loved Ah, Real Monsters was always my favorite. Mm. Yeah, I, I think Rugrats was the only one I ever really watched. I mean, we didn't, well, when dun, I was a kid, dun, we didn't really dun, get a lot dun, of channels, dun, but... Uh, dun, 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 dun. Is that the theme music? Did the you ever watch the Rugrats movies? Yeah, I used to. I remember the uh, crossover they did, Rugrats and Wild Thornberries. Wild Thornberries, yeah. What's well, uh, I used to, it was a, a Australian dance band called Pnow, and they would uh, they had a song called Wild Strawberries, and I remember every time that came out, I'm like Wild Thornberries. Oh, there's a Canadian band called the Wild Strawberries. Oh, well there you They're go. A decent band too. You might like them. I might. Um, you, maybe you you'll listen to them now. Put it on. Maybe I it's won't. Copywritten? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. yeah, I'd still rather not. Uh, Maybe but, I'll forget about this in five minutes. <laughs> but yeah, they go into this tomb underneath the library. Now, I do wonder if, if they he wants to keep the secret. What was his plan? Because there's now a massive hole in the floor that like the janitor is going to come by the... <laughs> Huh, never seen that hole before. Oh, look, there's a corpse down there. Like, it's and not going to stay secret for long. The X disappears on the tile. Or am I just it like... D- well, no, It Jamie thought that too. And I'm like, no, no, it's got to still be there. I rewound it and freeze frame, but it's like, it's the angle they're at is very hard to see. But if you freeze frame, you could still see the faint X. Right. It's just a weird okay. angle. Okay. 
Because, yeah, she thought the exact same thing. So you're not crazy. There you go. Uh, anyway, so... ever tell me that. <laughs> so he's going through this old tomb here, and uh, there's uh, rats everywhere. He even, I love when he goes, ah, oh, rats. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy puns. Uh, now, on the scale of creepy things in the indie movies, where's rats? Snakes, bugs, rats? Uh, I, I'm, I think spiders, number one, bugs, number two... Yeah, these down the bottom. I'm just, rats. I had a pet rat. We've talked about this before. Padme. Um, rats don't bother me. Rats and snakes don't bother Her- me. So Harrison Ford. I mentioned on Raiders that Harrison Ford had had snakes when he was growing up. He also had a pet rat apparently. Mm. And uh, there, there's behind the scenes footage of him not only petting this rat but talking to it on set, like basically petting it like it's a cat. Like he's Blofeld. <laughs> I, I would get my Blofeld. rat. You'd put her on my shoulder and everything. And like, I mean, I lived in New York. You'd walk like home at like <laughs> two in the morning. And like, literally, if you didn't have five like cat sized rats running in front of you, then you were doing something wrong. So you just, you just pause and go, okay, rat. Okay, rat. Okay, rat. And I mean, then you'd go up into your apartment. <laughs> for this though, apparently they had to get like thousands of rats that had to be, because they carry diseases, they had to basically breed these rats from birth for this film. So these rats were all raised just to be in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, they're not the uh, from Russia with love chocolate rats. <laughs> not the chocolate rats, yeah. But you know, I, I wonder if they, they they're maybe playing a little bit on from Russia with love here. I mean, that may be stretching mm. it a bit. But I mean, there's a, there's a couple of obvious James, not even just the casting. There's some obvious James Bond connections in this movie, and maybe Spielberg was thinking from Russia with love when they're in the tunnels here with the rats and everything. Uh, but it, there are some, I guess, creepy shots like. The thing is, I don't find mice or rats scary on their own, but I've I've been in an apartment that had a mouse once, and uh, then Jamie and I had a mouse in an apartment. They were doing construction on like a railway right across the street from us, and it basically drove mice into the building. And I, I remember the, when the mice were there, it would creep me out just in that you never know when it's going to pop up. Yeah, but I mean, that- if I'm if if I'm in a room and I'm like, oh, there's a rat, I'd be fine. But if if it's invading my space, then I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, get out of here. That's I mean, like, yeah, it was like you walk home in New York, you'd see that. But like, I remember like uh, one of my houses growing up, we had like a bit of a mouse problem, and it wasn't, it, it doesn't like, it's just that unknown. Like I remember like uh, the way I would sort of sit on my bed, I'd sort of be watching something with say the lights out. And you could see, like, with the light coming from my bedroom door, you would all of a sudden see this thing, like, scamper across the floor. And it was like, yeah. oh, what the fuck was that? And then my cat would, like, literally just sit there and stare <laughs> forever. And she was, like, it was, she was amazing. She would just be, like, this statue. And she would, days, she would be stalking this mouth. Then out of nowhere, you would hear this, boom, like, super loud question. What the fuck was that? She would sprint off. You'd run. She'd have this. And because, you know, cats, like, kind of torture their food, right? Yeah. And then so when you try to take it off her, she would literally like swallow the whole fucking thing whole and you would Ooh. see you would see the tail just go <laughs> like down her throat. <laughs> Whereas I had another cat that like she was an outdoor cat and she was one of those cats that if you had someone like if you had a friend come over to stay for like a Saturday and you close like the door to this thing, you'd open the door and there'd be a dead mouse. Like she would bring you a present. She'd be like, hey, guys, you got a friend over. Here's a dead mouse for you. I'm like, thanks, smoothie. Cheers. Yeah. I'll- I'll get to my mouse story in a second. When we lived on the farm in Vita, Manitoba, way out in the middle of nowhere. We had no indoor plumbing or anything. <laughs> uh, we had a dog that uh, basically ate a porcupine. It killed a porcupine oh. and then ate it. And it basically had the quills on us. <laughs> and my, my dad had to like pick the quills out of its mouth and everything. Uh, and then it was like a day later. The dog dug up the corpse of the porcupine and brought it back and had the quills all in his mouth again. <laughs> but uh, no, most most story the uh, the 
when Jamie and I were in that apartment, this was like, uh, I think Casper was born at this point, but the twins weren't. Uh, the uh, the mouse that we had, and we had a hamster at the time. And I remember the first time we saw this mouse, I'm like, Jamie, the hamster's out of its cage. And then I look, I'm like, that's not the hamster. <laughs> what is it? And then realized we had a mouse. The landlord had basically put like some of those sticky traps, you know, behind the stove or whatever. Uh, and, and there had been a couple other mice reported in the building. And then I remember I had my wisdom teeth out that day. And not the day they put the traps down, but like the day where the, the mouse was caught. And I came home after having wisdom teeth out and I'm like, oh, oh I could barely talk. I'm drooling and everything. <laughs> and I'm hearing this screeching from like behind the stove. So I basically am calling Jamie like, dude, I can't call the landlord. <laughs> call the landlord. Call the landlord. Yeah. So the guy came up and he's like, oh yeah. And it was quiet at this point, like two hours later when he came up, he goes, oh yeah, you definitely got a mouse here. And he goes, it's dead. And he says, pretty gruesome here. Uh, I'm going to have to clean this up. And then after he came back, he said, yeah, so if it's not going to gross you out too much. So the mouse got its leg stuck on the sticky trap <laughs> and you could tell it couldn't get out. So it tried gnawing its own leg off. Aww. So it basically killed itself trying to gnaw its leg off. It was just gruesome. Well, they're actually um, there because I remember my sister, I think, when she was in high school, um, we, I know you guys, well, I don't know if Canada does, I don't know if America does, where you kind of have like the class pet and you take it home. Uh, it's oh not, yeah, not I really, had one of those. Not really a thing here. Uh, we had a, I had in primary school a class teddy bear that I took home once. But anyway, um, <laughs> but she had like a class set of mice that she looked after. And like literally I remember like waking up one morning and like this screaming going on. I was like, what's going on? Basically one of the mice had like chewed all the other mice's head heads off. <laughs> like it like it murdered all the other mice. And there's this like mouse is like blood all over it and all these headless fucking mice in the thing. So <laughs> it committed mouse genocide. <laughs> mouse aside. Um, yeah. That was the Hitler of mice. And that mouse is now the prime minister of Australia. <laughs> uh anyways yeah so the mice sequence here I, I think that there are a couple moments but i mean it's not the creepiest thing and i think even spielberg has kind of said we were running out of creepy things and when we get to king of the crystal skull it's like didn't put me in the if movie. it wasn't if it wasn't cgi <laughs> that, that would be really disturbing but if it wasn't cgi they might have had more success with king of the crystal skull i don't even know if you remember what the creepy things were in that i remember there's gophers in a weird monkey scene yeah, well, the gophers, were, there's there's like fire ants. That's what they use. But All right, yeah. There's got to be something that they, something, really get back to like the scary world stuff. And, uh, the Harvey Weinstein pop up in Dial of Destiny, just Bill sexually Cosby. harassing Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Toby <laughs> Stevens, not Toby Stevens, the one, Toby Toby Jones, the yeah, little guy. Toby Stevens, uh, Bill, Bill Cosby walks up and like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> But uh, as they're you going through the Indian the bag with the fiery. <laughs> I, I still love the Simpsons where it's like uh, the, the the Jello pudding in the <laughs> Kodak film. <laughs> didn't he? Use, wasn't there? Didn't he do kids say the darndest things? Like you got the kids yeah. in the saying the darndest things. Oh, I do my favorite one. I think of the same Simpsons like with the hippin' and the hoppin' and the pippin' and the boppin'. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> one of these days we'll get to the simpsons anyways the catacombs here uh indy falls into a pool realizes there's oil in there so he wraps you know, part of uh, dead corpse garments around and creates a torch now if you watch this torch there's like flames falling and this water we know has oil in it that is going to be flammable. Like, why is the whole thing not on fire? Again, the laws of fire don't really apply in the Indiana Jones movies. Indy himself should be set on fire. I'm just waiting for it. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> burn. Eight, eight good money to see this. 
they eventually find uh, <laughs> the little thing on the wall where they're like, oh, and this is whatever. And then she's like, oh, what's this one? He goes, the Ark of the Covenant. It's like, are you sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> uh, and then when they find the the knight's, um, oh, what is it, a casket, tomb, whatever you want to call it, uh, they open it up and his shield is the exact same thing, the inscription they had from that tablet. So this is that second marker they're looking for. He uses the, uh, the charcoal to finish <laughs> the rubbing, uh, which is going to be a problem in about 10 seconds because... You have these guys. This, this. I don't know if there's supposed to be a cult, but they're they're basically like the um, um, the, the guys from the mummy. You I was know, thinking that the protectors. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the exact same type thing. We're the protectors of the Grail, uh, and they set fire to the, all the water in the catacombs. Indy turns over the the knight's casket. They hide underneath. He swims underwater to find an exit. As Elsa's in there with rats crawling in her hair, which that's the disturbing shot. That's like claustrophobia and rat phobia or whatever all at the same time. Uh, and then he basically says, take a deep breath. I found a way out. So they get out. They come out of the sewer drain. Here's another James Bond type thing. I love <laughs> that. I, I was out walking my pet rat. You smell like a touch handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Spielberg really was doing uh, intentional things here with Bond. But this is where it's a problem because right after they get out, and of course he has another, ah, Venice here as he comes out of the sewer. Uh, but then they're looking over the rubbing which is not smeared, not wet anyway. How did this thing stay dry? He had just finished this drawing and then he's underwater with oil and water and he brings up his perfectly intact. It makes no sense whatsoever. Indiana Jones uh, doesn't get wet. He's a dry man. He's, he's, is that a sex joke? I don't know. I don't it wasn't meant to be, but I, okay. <laughs> you never know with me. But uh, him and Marcus are going over this thing and they're, reading the inscription is basically giving the city is Alexandretta. And uh, then it's talking about the, the desert and the Canyon. And that's where he finds the map that his dad drew in the journal. Uh, and then he decides he wants to go tell Elsa and uh, her room is ransacked. Indy's room is ransacked. She's just trying to hop in the bath. This should have been a dead giveaway. I mean, they're creating that type of commotion and that little record player she has is like, you know, do, 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 whatever. <laughs> that's gonna do, that's gonna drown out these guys tossing a room. But of course, we're gonna find out in a minute why it doesn't. Uh, and here's where we get. I think this is this is your opening quote basically for the movie. I think this is probably just as good, if not better, than the indie Willie scene from the last movie with yeah. them bickering back and forth. <laughs> this here, where he's like, I don't like fast women. It's like I hate arrogant men. How dare you uh, kiss me! How dare you kiss me and <laughs> kiss him right back. Uh, it, it's a very good scene. And this is where he has his third, ah, Venice. <laughs> They're about to have sex. Uh, poor Marcus in the other room is getting none. Uh, or maybe he is. I don't know. Oh, come on. <laughs> she, she goes through a few men in this movie, old, uh, old Elsa. A lot of them, yeah. She lets it go. <laughs> this is where Marcus needs to go, you don't be careful. She talks in her sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Marcus, obviously, uh, in, in the other room, Indy having sex and rooms ransacked i don't know how much further we want to go here um the uh the 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 uh, what's next here uh did i miss a scene the boat chase was first wasn't it yeah you missed, I missed the, the entire boat chase there gonna, we go but i mean there's a boat chase there's yeah. a boat chase well actually this is this is a great action because this is where i noticed that this movie it probably has more action as far as screen time goes than the first two movies did yeah but all the actions are very short like this is two and a half minutes this entire boat chase here uh, but it's it's fantastic, and uh, the obviously Indy and her on the boat, and then the part where they're going in between it, and he's like, 
are you crazy? Don't go between them. She goes, go between them. Are you crazy? <laughs> and then he's like, uh, I said not to go between them. You said go between them. I said, don't go between them. Uh, I, I, I definitely like what they do with her character, that, that, that little bit of a uh, swerve that they give where it's like, oh, she's not what you expect, but they definitely could have gone pretty far with her as a female love interest in this. I think they have good chemistry. She's, I, I'm surprised she hasn't really done much else. She's really good in this movie. I mean, yeah. I would say she's arguably better before she's revealed as a villain yeah. than she is when you reveal her as a villain. She's uh, Her chemistry with Harrison Ford's fantastic. You know, their banter, the, the, her comic timing is really solid. Um, obviously, during this chase, you got the one guy who uh, jumps on the boat here and uh, the boat's drifting towards the propellers and is chopping it up. And uh, uh, that that sequence always kind of like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, it always makes me jump. But uh, this guy here, right before Indy's like, it's like, we'll both die. My soul's prepared. How's yours? So Indy basically spares him. And then just as they're about to let him go, he says, oh, I'll tell you where your father is. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I need to make sure that you're not going to disturb the grail. He says, I'm not after the grail. I'm only after my father. So he tells him, go to this castle and you'll find your father there. Uh, this guy here, I, I I didn't really get much confirmation in one trivia bit, but the actor here was apparently also auditioned for the role of Sala in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they just liked him. So they you know decided to call him again for this movie. Uh, I don't think his character's name, Chasm is his character's name on Wikipedia, but his character name is never revealed here. But this is the exact same thing the mummy did, but... Uh, I think maybe because the mummy had a more prominent character, it's done better. But I, I just like this idea about all these secret societies in this way. Like this is where I think the movie gets very complex because it's not just like Raiders where here's this thing that's been buried forever and Indy's after it and the Nazis are after it. It's like, okay, a rich billionaire is after it. He's got the Nazis. A Nazi woman is working with them. And then the, the dad, a woman, uh, and then the dad is uh, kidnapped. And now you got this, the brother of the cruciform sword or whatever. Um, but uh Let's kind of uh, cap it off there uh, right after the love scene and the boat chase, even if you want to do it in the proper order. Why, like, you talk about Indy killing those people on the boat for no reason. He killed, like, half these guys' men. He's all like, yeah. stop <laughs> killing us. We're, like, we're protecting it. We're doing the same thing. And the, I mean, this guy's kind of to blame as well because he's like, don't kill me. I go to the grave. And then he kind of gets off the thing, gets off his dock. It's like, well, nice thing. You good luck finding it. Uh, and it's like, yeah. I'm like, no, you killed Gerald and Samuel. Like, they were my mates. You know, we we were going to Rome he, this weekend. He only had three days to retirement. I know. He owed me money. <laughs> Never going to get my five lira back. That's probably a lot of lira back in 1938 or whatever year this was. I'm seeing here old uh, Mrs. Doody. <laughs> Doody. Um, she was in, you know, that Indian film last year, that RRR, that one, oh, like RRR, yeah. the, the, the Indian pirate movie, RRR, yeah. <laughs> uh, that won an Oscar, didn't it, for the best song? Um, she was apparently in that. So, uh, that's something big she's done recently that wasn't Harrison Ford. Um, <laughs> or Sean Connery. <laughs> Wait, come on, the drum roll should be Connery. Didn't say Max Dawson. Um, that, that's an extenuated wah, 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 wah. Um, I mean, if anything creeps me out, it's skeletons. Because, again, as I said, I had a real skeleton fear as a kid. So kind of like that. Do you encounter a lot of them? <laughs> I've got one. It's in me. Uh, I can't see it. Um, but I, the thing, the, the honest trailer, I love how they, they always point out that, like, yeah, like he's kind of a, a, going to be a villain in a Black Panther movie. But also the fact that he destroys, so, like he's so into like history and art. But like 
he goes into this like thing under the library and destroys a freaking tomb and is like destroying skeletons and he destroys so much stuff old as Indiana Jones, but no one ever talks about that. Um, but I, I, I do kind of like that underneath this library in Venice, there's just all these like dead people. Like, I mean, I get it. Like I think France has like the, um, the famous catacombs and everything under the city and it's Europe. They're pretty weird people. Hello to all our Europeans. Why is this library haunted? That's what, whenever you, ancient burial ground. Because ghosts are too far in Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, we've been over that. But yeah, I love the Ark of the, the Covenant reference there. That's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, the, the rats don't really, even when they're crawling on a hair and stuff like that. Like, I mean, again, I had Padme crawl on me. I wish that was true in many ways. But <laughs> I mean, I, okay, I don't want to sit here and have 50 rats crawl over me right now. I'm not, I'm not asking for that. But it's sort of, you know, it's, I'm not creeped out. I'm more creeped out by the bugs in the last one, to be honest with you. Um, I love it when they crawl up through the uh, the manhole bit. Is that is that sexist now? The person hole? Um, manhole. The person hole. Uh, at least it's not called a woman's hole. That that would be uh, inappropriate. <laughs> well, men have holes too, I guess. But uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank men you for have, that, <laughs> Men have holes too. <laughs> You know, the Ben Waterworth story. <laughs> what was it? Ant Man? Where he's like, I have holes. Oh, yeah. I have holes. Uh, <laughs> remember that came out this year? Um, <laughs> the giant head person. Um, yeah, the boat The boat chase reminded me, like, what? Quantum Solace, maybe a bit of that. A bit better than From Russia with Love. Uh, but I kind of like those old style wooden boats. They look pretty cool. But again, these poor men are just getting killed. And, like, why does this boat explode? Like, when it's going through the gaps. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, even if it's got an engine, I mean, it's got What's a What's igniting it? Exactly. Like, again, movie's got a movie. Like, oh, cool with explosions. Explosions! Like, I don't have that sound effect from 007. But it's just like, okay. Does this boat had TNT on it secretly or something <laughs> like that? Like, poof. Um, But... Yeah, I, I do. I like the, the love scene. Like, you're right. Like, I, I kind of just like that back and forth between them where they're just kind of all like, oh, I don't like loose women. Because I, I, I even, like, forget that they sleep together. But, like, it, is that just not always a telltale sign in these types of movies? If they fuck early, that clearly one of them is going to be evil and it's not going to be indie. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a Bond trope, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, let's get them over and done with. Or they're going to die, essentially. Um, so, but yeah, I know we're about to get into this scene now, but I fucking love it when he goes into the castle and he's doing Scottish. Oh yeah. Like, oh, I just want to get into that. Cause that's just so fun. Uh, yeah. So they pull up to this castle where, uh, you had nothing else to add, right? I have nothing else to declare. There we go. Okay. So we pull up to the castle in Scotland and this is all that really remains of the haunted house part of the movie because well, the original movie was going to be Haunted House. George Lucas then decided he wanted to use this this Scottish castle as the opening sequence. Um, and then uh, after that, all it was really left was just supposed to be a pre-title scene, but then they ditched that. But he still liked the idea of the Scottish castle, so they kept it kind of the middle section of the movie here. Uh, and when yeah, when they pull up here, he he does have the the line, which is a repeat of what the young indie line has uh, earlier on, where he's like, I'll think of something or whatever, but what's your plan? Uh, this is where they basically swap costumes <laughs> or hats, I guess. And Elsa goes in wearing the fedora and he goes in wearing her hat. And he's got this, this very flamboyant accent here. Uh, it's like, I'm so going to cut a snipple. <laughs> That's very Schwarzenegger. I, was gonna say, I can't ugly. do anything. <laughs> They're Austrian. It's the Austrian border. That's why. 
uh and, and then <laughs> the, this guy here the butler or whatever bernard let's call him bernard <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen a fedora word before which but by the way, I want to uh, comment. Did you know that they released a uh, an actual Blu-ray copy of Spider-Man Three? That's a different version. It's the editor's cut, not the Sam Raimi cut, but the editor's cut. I did it's see an a lot of version. I did see a lot of um, Spider-Man Three like being posted on social media recently, so that would explain it. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I looked up what the differences are, and obviously, there's little things here and there that are changed. Um, the the uh, Harry his scene with bernard is basically not in the movie which i'm like okay that definitely makes you take this movie more seriously but i don't know if i could ever lose bernard i cleaned your father's naked body how can you lose that scene it is so Aww, bad it's good yeah <laughs> but that's gone uh anyways yeah bernard here the butler he's like if you are a scottish lord then i am mickey mouse <laughs> which can I, I i just want to jump in here right now okay you love this movie you think it's great you cannot bag out specter i don't know if it was you or noah who bags out that specter line when it's like oh mickey mouse because that's like oh this is so bad when this is a famous line from this movie and no one complains about it it's hypocritical uh, i think the difference the difference is James Bond himself is giving the Mickey Mouse line in. in oh, Spectre, stop giving the excuse. Bernard the Butler. It's in Italy as well. James, it's in Rome. James Bond wouldn't know what Mickey Mouse is. Oh, and he Indiana was, Jones would. Well, Indiana Jones doesn't say it's Mickey was Mouse. Mickey Bernard Mouse does. even a thing in 1938? Didn't Mickey Mouse come out in the 40s? Is this a plot uh, hole? Well, no, because Disney, yeah, Disney's first movie would have been around this time. Snow 1928, White. 1928, Steamboat Willie. Okay, that. I'm wrong. All right. Yeah. So, yes, they know who Mickey Mouse is. Uh, anyways, th- th- his accent was like, uh, he's so, how dare he? <laughs> uh, you do have tapestries, don't you? That's we have many tapestries. Scottish Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, but uh, he basically knocks him out here, and uh, him and Elsa are nosing around the mansion, and this is with Nazis. I hate these guys. Uh, and then he says, I think dad's in here. How do you know? Because the door's wired. <laughs> Sorry, can I say, do we you... need that line? Nazis, I hate these guys, as opposed I to everybody else who likes the Nazis. Yeah, this is where Nazis. Yeah, some of them are all right. <laughs> like, Nazis. What other versions of They're decent. Yeah. Nazis, underrated. <laughs> Not evil yet. Haven't killed any Jewish people. So Nazis, Hitler has a heart. <laughs> <laughs> Nazis, yet to be determined. <laughs> but yeah he he notices the one door is wired so not gonna go in through that one so they go into the next room and uh that's where he swings uh over i don't know if this is supposed to be like electrical wires nazis and indiana jones and uh but yeah he he swings to one side and swings into the other room and there's a fantastic like, the reveals in this movie are great like just like indy's first reveal where they have the the hat that goes down and comes up from River Phoenix to Harrison Ford. Here, where he goes in the room, you just see a shadow of a guy clocking him over the head with a vase. And then all of a sudden, Sean Carter steps in. Junior! <laughs> now, you, you commented about how uh, Connery's just a damsel in distress in this movie. Marcus, even more so a damsel in distress in this movie. Yeah. Let's just let people dwell on that for a second. Our argument in the last movie, what is wrong with Willie... Being a damsel in distress and being maybe a little bit bubbling and stuff like that. Because as we said, when a man does it and it's comic relief, it's brilliant. Nobody ever said Sean Connery's just a damsel in distress. They're literally rescuing him because he can't do anything for it to help himself. And Sean Connery's contribution to this movie was that it was actually originally much worse. Like he was supposed to be more quirky. And what we're going to get out of uh, 
John Hurt in the next movie. Uh, and I, I always kind of wondered about how much of uh, the, the John Hurt's role maybe was originally supposed to be Sean Connery's role in the next one. But that's kind of the way that this character was written. He was going to be a very outlandish and and quirky and, and weak. And Sean Connery basically came on and said, I don't want my character to be the action hero, but he's the father. So he needs to, by the end of this movie, prove that he's smarter than his son, which is why we get things like the the thing with the the, the, the seagulls or whatever later on, or the, the pen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or even like the 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 conversation where they're having the drink with her on the zeppelin like sean connor basically insisted have these moments in the movie because originally it was meant to be a lot more of a damsel in distress but he's still a damsel in distress in this movie i mean everything in this sequence coming up he's a complete bumbling fool mm. he's an incredibly intelligent man but a bumbling fool uh right you know this, instantly these two guys have some of the the best natural chemistry and natural timing of any actors I've ever seen yeah. uh, where he's like, oh, such a shame. Look, the, the Ming dynasty. And uh, it's like, Oh, uh, and Andy's like, oh, it's okay. I, I don't think I'm injured. And he just goes, thank God for that. Look, it's a fake. It's <laughs> <laughs> pause too. You can tell right here. So he gets all excited giddy like a schoolboy, And he's like, thanks dad. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, then uh, as they come out of the, the, or he basically tells them first of all, they found the, um, the the tablet or whatever the the shield and henry knows everything okay and then the second marker was the knight's tomb and the shield and all that and he's i wish i could have been there says you never would have gotten past the rats dad rats <laughs> he's terrified it, it, it doesn't come up again in the movie but it's just it's that idea they had with indy in the first movie like he needs a kryptonite and you know if he has a fear of snakes his dad has a fear of rats too and i just i just love that sean connery's afraid of rats you know um but uh, as they come out of the room here, I didn't even come out of the room. Basically, they, the other guys, come, the Nazis come in the room, and then they see they've got Elsa, and they're holding her at gunpoint. And Indy's like, no, no, wait a minute. And Connery's like, don't do that. She's one of them. And uh, I remember seeing this the first time, being like, what is he talking about? Like, really confused, because they, they do a good job kind of disguising her identity here. And Indy eventually says, okay, here, take it, or whatever. And that's when she reveals, oh, you should have listened to your father, or whatever. Uh <laughs> Next time we see them, they're they're basically tied up together, and uh, this is probably my favorite scene of the entire movie. It doesn't have to be action; just everything about this scene's perfect. Even just with the question that now we get the reveal that not only is Elsa a bad guy, but uh, uh, Julian Glover is too, because nobody would predict that if they saw for your eyes only. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, he first asks his dad, "It's like, how did you know that she was a Nazi? She talks in her sleep." Now that was Sean Connery improvising; like it was always supposed to be in the script that you know, there had been something between them, but it was Sean Connery came on. She talks in her sleep. He's not acting. <laughs> he's, he's been exactly. fucking her the whole time. Uh, and and uh, that's basically the the one of Sean Connery's things that I probably because he saw it in the script. He said anything that Indy does, his dad can do better. He just does it without getting his hands dirty. You know, <laughs> and, he, and he includes that. He even screws a woman better than Indy. <laughs> like Which he um, would. Sorry, Harrison, but well, come on, guaranteed. He's Sean Connery. As a kid, I remember watching this being like, well, why would she sleep with the old man? And then as you get older, you realize this is Sean Connery. <laughs> Watch this movie with Jamie now. Uh, you were going to say something? I was just, I was just literally going to say in the Honest trailer, they kind of make a reference to the best. Like, really? Sean Connery sleeps with a woman? That's meant to be a plot yeah. twist? <laughs> uh, now, Sean Connery, he was only 12 years older than Harrison Ford in this movie. And despite the fact, I mean, he obviously did look older they aged him still for this movie they, they they basically made him full gray and everything they made sure his wardrobe he made sure that he walked in a certain way that just 
made him seem like more like an old man because 12 years age difference between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. I don't think anybody really guesses that. No, well, that's uh, what my but, point before when I said like he aged a lot between this and Never Say Never yeah. Again. But okay, but that makes me, and, makes, makes sense. And it, when, when you look at The Hunt for Red October, which came out a year after this, I mean, he definitely didn't look this old. So there's a lot even just in the performance that ages him here. Uh, I also should mention, I love the part, though, when the Nazis first come in, they're like, Dr. Jones, and they both like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> answering at the same time. Does it also um, remind you, I know I mentioned the Big Bang Theory song, but do you ever remember the Aqua song? Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, call. I remember Dr. that Jones, Aqua song, Dr. yeah. Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, wake up, wake, up wake up now. We didn't even mention the last movie. That's literally a line in the movie. Dr. Jones, wake up in Temple of Doom. Yeah, exactly. Is that actually, like, based on Indiana Jones? I like, did Aqua do I that? I assume, because I remember the video was even them on a plane, like, at this. Yeah. And Red they were saying, Dr. Jones, wake up now. They're just apparently Did releasing a Tiesto remix of Barbie Girl for the movie Barbie. So there you go. Of course they would. Jamie owns that CD. I think oh, I've got an aquarium. I've got an aquarium. Everyone's got that. A great album. Surely. It's got to be, I'm going to keep, keep talking. It's got to be about Indiana <laughs> Jones. Uh, so, yeah, after the she talks her sleep line, this is where uh, Elsa and... Uh, Julian Glover talking back and forth and saying, oh, we don't need them. Well, they might still have some information. Uh, and like, well, where's the diary? It's like, oh, you didn't give it to poor Marcus. So Henry's basically like, not Marcus. And he's like, uh, you'll never catch him. He speaks a dozen languages. He has friends in every city from here to Cairo. You know, he, he's got a two-day lead on With any luck, he's got the grail already. And then they got to <laughs> Daniel Melian. Does anybody here speak English? <laughs> he's just bubbling around. <laughs> Jar Jar. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, very Jar Jar. Uh, and then he he bumps into John Reese davies Now we got Sala back. Now, I, I think I, I I love these movies so much, especially this one. And I love John Reese davies so much as Sala that it wasn't until I had to take notes of the movie that I realized you could cut John Reese davies from this movie and it, it's, it's irrelevant. Like, mm. he does nothing for this movie other than we wanted to get him back. But other than this one great scene here where... Uh, him and Marcus are basically already caught by the Nazis and he's trying to stall. It's like, show me your papers. He goes, Oh, got it right here. Just picked it up this morning. And he's got the newspaper. And he's like, run, run. He punches the guy. And I don't know if you caught the the gag where they actually catch Marcus. He he tells him go in here and it looks like it's a storefront, but then they close it up as a truck, which is exactly the way that Indy and Sala escape from the Nazis or whatever in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, so already they're like, oh, we'll never catch, you'll never catch Marcus. And then they cut right back. It's like, good news. We got Marcus Brody and we've got the diary in the map. <laughs> so how did they telegram them that quickly? Cause I don't think they were landline phones. The Nazis were very efficient, Colin. They had uh very good technology back in, back in the day. Carrier pigeons that traveled light speed or something. Uh, so now they decide, yeah, we could kill them or whatever. So they just leave. And this is where Indy, the, the best part of this movie, when Indy and Henry are trying to escape and he's trying to get loose of the ropes. And they even have the conversation here about Elsa. Uh, but uh, where he's, he says, reach into my pocket and he finds the lighter. He's trying to burn through the ropes. And Sean Connery, damsel in distress, fumbles it on the floor and he tries blowing on it. Yeah, blow on fire. That uh, then I just love the way he delivers. Like, uh, junior, junior, not now, dad. The floor's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> And isn't when he keeps saying, uh, like, don't call me Junior? Yeah, don't call me Junior. That's all throughout the movie. But he's like, the floor is on fire. And the chair. <laughs> uh, and so they're crotch. basically shuffling. I have another STI. <laughs> was, Elsa, I told you not to trust that woman. <laughs> she has lice. But, but uh, they're, they're basically 
communicating back and forth. This this is the part that I think I always remember. This is shown like every trailer, every TV spot. The whole turns and said, Dad, what? Dad, what? Dad, what? As their heads are flopping the wrong direction. Uh, they go into the fireplace. They're trying to escape as the whole room's engulfed in flames. Indy hits like a trap door thing, which I just love little things like that. Like only in an Indiana Jones movie or like an old school 30s adventure film, you're going to get trap doors in fireplaces. But it's such a cool twist. They turn around and you see it's a Nazi room. And I just love the visual of the nobody noticing them. And they come right back around. It's like, well, our situation hasn't improved. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they get free from it. And then as they spin it around again, that's where the Nazis, they're just kind of waving. And that one woman just looks at them. And she gives them this nod like, huh. And then all of a sudden she screams, oh, <laughs> uh and then even as they turn the fireplace around again and connery's like stuck he's got like this shock look on his face which is brilliant just like, Whoa! <laughs> and like connery's never really done out james bond comedy but nothing like outright funny like this um i guess the rest we'll just cover the rest of the escape sequence here too can i just add uh, so, one thing just before you get there oh, to go. confirm dr jones is about indiana jones Yes. It was uh, uh at the aqua said that it was basically uh Barbie girl uh, but giving the pop treatment to Indiana Jones. Now, are they supposed to be Short Round or Willie in that song? Uh, I don't know. They're amazing. <laughs> um, don't bag out Aqua. I, I, you know, the Barbie Girl song always bugged me, but I think just because of the Indiana Jones, and I always assumed it was about Indiana Jones, I'm like, okay, I could stand uh, Dr. Jones. Underrated Aqua song. What was the song? third song? Uh, they did Lollipop, You Are My Candy Man. But no, the, the one they the did one. on the... Aqu- are we thinking Cartoon Heroes? That's what I was about to say. Underrated Aqua song. Great song. No, I'll have to I'll have to look that up and see what the... Uh, uh, we are the Cartoon was, but... Heroes. Oh, whoa, we are the ones who are going to last forever. That's, that yeah. one definitely sounds familiar, but I don't think that's the one that I was thinking of. Um, I'm going to find it here. I'm stalling. Uh <laughs> Dr. Jones, Dr. Uh, Jones calling. Yeah, Dr. just keep Jones, singing. There Dr. You Jones, go. Dr. Jones, wake up. Wake up now. Sing that yeah, to no, I'm looking uh, at Christmas all the others. I'm looking at all the other singles, seven singles from that first album, and I don't recognize that. Hi, Casper. Casper might be able to answer yeah. this. Was Christmas Jones called Dr. Christmas Jones because of Dr. Jones? Like, Indiana Why Jones? Why would she be? I don't know. You know Oh, yeah, maybe. Casper, I agree. Yeah, you're going on that treadmill. Okay. Hey, Casper, that's just freshly painted, so you're going to get some paint stains on you if you're not careful. Did Daddy there, paint Casper. it? Did Daddy paint it? I did, it? yes. I think it's dry, thankfully. All right, thank you. Let's just hope that's Dr. right. Go Jones, back upstairs, Dr. Okay? Jones calling Dr. Jones. <laughs> Casper would like aqua. He probably would. Uh <laughs> Casper, we're nearly so done. We're nearly <laughs> finished we're for motorcycle this. Motorcycle chase, okay. We're, so, we're nearly finished for this section. Well, not that we record these in segments. Uh, we do this all <laughs> in one go, Ben. What are you talking about? Uh, oh, there we go. We found Mommy upstairs. Go see her, okay? Uh, I really hope we for the section, Jamie. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, there we go. He's running on the treadmill. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, we got like two minutes to finish here, and he's interrupting the recording. Go, go, go. Let's go. Uh, All right. So, as they're trying to escape, we get another like, this is the first hint of like Sean Connery saying he's got to be able to do things better than his son or differently than his son. Uh, As Indy's like, there's got to be like a a secret trap door or something to get out of here. And he's like, I find if I sit down and uh, just relax. (laughs) And all of a sudden he releases back at Indy, whoa, 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 down the stairs. He goes, a solution presents itself. Uh, Indy basically puts a boat out into the river just to kind of fake them out as to where About. they're going. About. Uh, out into the ra- rover. Rover. Uh, <laughs> re- reaver. Are you having a stroke again? 
I don't know. I'm trying to do Schwarzenegger again. <laughs> we all trying to do Schwarzenegger again. <laughs> oh, we're like days away. I mean, at the time people are listening to this, we've already seen the documentary, and it was fantastic. That Chris Hensworth ad in the elevator is quite funny, by the way. I like it. You know, the um, Jamie's I don't know some YouTube channel or something where where they just keep putting Schwarzenegger into these movies like Step Brothers and what was that one she said both of us oh, this, the hills are alive yeah, the sound the of music. Sound of music. best one I'll, I'll see if I can send it to you best one she sent me today was Ferris Bueller it's Arnold Schwarzenegger as for, including the shower scene where oh no doing his hair up and all that uh, anyway so yeah now we get the motorcycle now the motorcycle chase was actually a reshoot and this is I think one of the things that surprised me the most about the movie because they finish this and they're like, oh, I think we need like another action scene. And it wasn't even just, we need more action in the movie. It's like, we have too long of a gap without action. So they decided they'd have this action scene extend here. So all of this was shot after they'd already come back to the States and the movie was assembled, like close to release the rest of this chase scene here. And I mean, the, the music, it, this is probably mm. my favorite music cue from the music, uh, from the music cue from the music, music cue from the, the soundtrack that John Williams did. And I think this is probably my favorite of the, the Indiana Jones soundtracks too. Uh, but uh, yeah, this chase scene with his dad in the sidecar and uh, you get the part where he pulls the pole out of the ground and he jumps. And just every time Indy does something and he looks so pleased, he's like, <laughs> and he turns to his dad and his dad's got the most unimpressed look on his face. He's even pulling his watch out like, <laughs> which is so unimpressed. I've got to ask the question. Why do the Nazis, like, do the Nazis even use guns in this movie? I swear, they've all got fucking rifles that could blow these people <laughs> up. And every single scene is just like, I'm about to shoot you, but no, I'm going to poke your tire and I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to joust you. Like, it's like, you're Nazis. Shoot people. That's what you do. Well, they're more, uh, more used to the gas at this point. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, they, they have the quick motorcycle escape here. And then uh, just as they reach the crossroads where they're like, oh, we got to go this way. This is where Marcus is. It's like, no, we got to go to Berlin. That's where uh, the, the diary is. Well, we don't need the diary. We need the map. Uh, and this is there's more in it. So this is where Sean Connery basically says there's three challenges you have to pass to get the grail. And that's what we need to do. And he kind of rattles them off here. You know, this is the purpose of them. They're like booby traps. So, okay, so what are they? And he's just he's just silent. And he's like, it's like you don't remember them? It's like, I wrote them down, so I didn't have to remember. <laughs> and they just have that shot where he's looking, which way should we go? And the next time they pick up in Berlin. So we'll, we'll stop there before we get to to Hitler. Our favorite person, right? We, we love talking about Hitler. Um, Who doesn't? The Jews. Um... <laughs> I mean, throwing it out there, they might have an issue well, with it. Um, yeah, we're going to get to some trivia on that in the next scene. Yep, just uh, just want to point that out. Um, does this scene not remind you of, I know, a great restaurant in Karachi? <laughs> uh, <laughs> which also, like, I get the old Hollywood style of, like, you know, let's put a signpost, like, this way. Like, But so they're in, whereabouts in Germany are they? Like, I, I don't know, somewhere in Germany. But, like, why do they well, have... The, it's the Austrian border, right, so okay. they're right on the border here. Hey, so literally could have crossed over. I've got nothing to declare. Um, <laughs> so why, though, do they have a signpost that literally is, like, Berlin, and it doesn't say <laughs> Venice? Like, two cities that aren't really connected. Or is it Vienna or does it say Venice? If it says Vienna... I, I think probably... it was Vienna. Okay, right. Well, if it says Vienna, then that makes sense because Vienna's in Austria, and if they're on the Austrian border, then that makes sense. But I, I mean, thought... This is also 85 years ago, so <laughs> they're... Uh, infrastructure may have been very different. Oh, no, it says Venice. I'm looking at it right now. It says Venice. So, again, like, you're in two completely, like, <laughs> different countries. This would be like saying, like, this way to Winnipeg and this way yeah. to Mexico City. 
<laughs> Shanghai, New York. Yeah, like it's it's odd. I know where, where I lived in New Zealand, there was like this famous part, like you drove like 20 minutes south and it was called Bluff. And like on the, like there was this headland and there was a sign, which was a tourist attraction. And it kind of had like yellow, like signposts pointing in all different directions saying like, you know, Vancouver, 12,000 kilometers that way, Sydney. And actually I even had oh, Hobart yeah. on it. Um, but yeah, this one's just kind of weird. Berlin, then, which again, I want to look at a map. If you're standing on the Austrian border, is Berlin really left and Venice really right? Like, anyway, uh, little nitpicks. But um, yeah, I mean, without the stuff that I already chimed in and all this sort of stuff, I mean, yeah, I love it when he's like Scott. I mean, Harrison Ford's Scottish accent is not brilliant, but uh, does he really do accents, Harrison Ford? Uh, I'm trying to think if he ever has. I know that there was that, he didn't do it, but there was that movie, The Devil's Own, with him and Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt, that was the one time Brad Pitt did an accent and never again. Which is, um, is that the, not the Tom Cruise one where Tom Cruise did? No, that was... No, a, that was that was Valkyrie where nobody did... Well, Tom Cruise did Far and Away where he did Irish. And he got so much criticism when he did the movie Valkyrie where it was all about Hitler's next in commands. Uh, nobody did an accent. So Kenneth Branagh spoke like Kenneth Branagh in it. And Tom Cruise spoke like Tom Cruise. But that was, uh, we've talked about this before, that a lot of people criticized Chernobyl for that because they were like, um, this is like a Ukrainian movie and everyone's British. And like the creators of that literally said like, look, we know that these are Ukrainian people, but we're doing this as a way of like, you're watching this and interpreting this in your language. They're actually speaking yeah. Ukrainian. So just like... Exactly. If, if people are really going to get nitpicky about that, complain about any movie where they're speaking in a German accent but speaking English for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, I do love a, a Scottish um, Harrison Ford here because it's not very good. But uh, what, <laughs> what is... So like this is the building where basically they found out that... What are they meant to... Do they know that Sean Connery's here or is it just luck? Yeah, he was told your right. father's, the, the the guy from the, the Brotherhood or whatever said your father's being held at a castle on the Austrian. He doesn't give him precise decora de decorations, de dis whatever you call it, uh, directions. <laughs> uh, he just says on the Austrian, what if there are like 16 castles along that entire border? Do you not want this scene to kind of like when we see Sean Connery for the first time be a bit entrapmenty? Like, do we not want Harrison Ford to take his shirt off and like Sean Connery just be like, <laughs> get your tits out, get your tits out, Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in my room? <laughs> I guarantee with these two guys, there were some off-camera comments like that. Actually, it's called blackmail. Uh, <laughs> this is called a Ming Dynasty. Actually, it's called blackmail. Uh, <laughs> why is that the one quote that we always go to? All the Bond films. <laughs> we, we need to have a Bond one-liner here when he smashes him on the head. Smashing. Positively yeah. smashing. <laughs> positively smashing. Smashing, baby, yeah. <laughs> of course, I, I know we've talked about it before, but uh, Sean Connery famously was... Mike Myers wanted him to play Austin Powers' dad yeah. in Goldmember, and Sean Connery was like, no, that would be silly, or like, like I would not do that to James Bond. So even though he hated James Bond by the time he died, he still was like, no, I'm going to defend the legacy of it and not play Austin Powers' what? father. Why did he play the villain in the the Avengers, like the the, the based on the TV series, the Patrick McVie Diana Rigg series? It's like okay, this was the competing franchise of James Bond, so I'm going to play the villain in this. Well, he he basically like I've already been a dick to the broccolis, uh, yeah. the broccolis. Yeah, that was just one more slap in their face. <laughs> they don't give a shit about Mike Myers. No one will either in twenty years. In your face, Mike Myers. I uh, would have done the love girl. <laughs> Why was it only for the Maple Leafs? Cat in the hat. I want to be in cat. I want to be a cat. I want to be a hat, and I want to put it on a cat. 
<laughs> Imagine if they just offer Sean Connery roles in every Mike Myers movie. I will play the hat, but not the cat. Yeah. <laughs> I will play the hoe. When he holds up the hoe and goes, stupid hoe, I will be the hoe and slap it. Because you've got to slap a woman every now and then to put her in her place. Um, that's a Sean Connery quote. That's not a Ben Waterworth quote. Um, but, Only I was editing this episode. Yeah, the amount of things that I would be cancelled for. Um, <laughs> I do, like, the thing that I think you touched on it, the fact that, you know, all these, like, slapsticky things that you got, it's almost very, like, Three Stooges-y, Charlie Chaplin, like, mm-hmm. they're tied together. Marx Brothers. <laughs> they're, like, tied with this, like, very, like, movie-style rope, and they're all like, quick, Junior, catch me the thing. Oh, I'm on fire, yeah. Junior. Like, it's just, like... Again, as I keep saying, I forget how slapsticky Indiana Jones is, but like it works. And yeah. I mean, again, like I keep this makes I don't know how this makes me appreciate the Roger Moore films more, but it kind of does. <laughs> like the Roger Moore James Bond films. And again, as I think I alluded to, I think the difference with the James Bond ones and why, like, yeah, you can groan a lot more at the Bond ones is because we didn't start that way. That's not how the Connery started. Mm. That's not what we got to with the Craigs. The Brosnans will take elements of that. The Daltons a little bit here and there. But, like, it's sort of... Imagine if the Bond franchise started with the Roger Moore films and it was kind of like this slapsticky comedy. Like, mm-hmm. it would be like if they then turned around and, like, went, like, Indiana Jones went dark and gritty for number six. Like, it would be like, well, this is odd. Um, so, mm. I don't know. Like, just it makes me appreciate those Roger Moore films even more now because, like, they so... They've got that style. And you've got to imagine that they took... I mean, obviously, Indiana Jones has taken a lot more from these 30s-style adventures, but... Obviously, the James Bond connections are there. So, you, you know, like, yeah, God, I, Roger Moore in Indiana Jones. We never got it. Uh, that would have been fun. But, um, yeah, I love this whole escape sequence. I, I just I love the bits like with this door that's spinning and he gets like a head of somebody and he just stubs it in the door. And as you said, like, Sean Connery's reactions are, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> and the stairs and just like everything about it is just fun. Uh, and yeah, the motorbike chase, because I kind of like that fake out they do with the boat down the river. And then you have like yeah. Nazis falling, whoa, 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 like Nazis <laughs> in the water. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> like you could literally edit this with. Like it's just seriously like that. I still question again, as I said, why the Nazis never shoot anyone in this film. Like it's just, it's, again, they're Nazis. That's cruel. Yeah. <laughs> we do not shoot the innocent white people. <laughs> that is not in our nature. It's 1938. We haven't done anything bad yet. <laughs> Fast forward years. Shoot them all. <laughs> Except for the white people. That's not a bad German accent, Ben. Um, so, but I do kind of, I, I'm with you. I love Sean Connery just kind of like looking just bored. Like, oh, come <laughs> That's on. so great. And there's one point he almost looks upset at him. He's glaring at him like a dad with like, don't you do that. <laughs> they do, so, but they just exchanges and glances. And we often talk a lot about like body language and facial expressions that can make a scene. But like a lot yeah. of these, there's no dialogue being spoken. And like, as you said, like for something, this being a reshoot, like, you can imagine, like, if you're in the flow of filming and kind of, like, you've got this chemistry, like, I mean, how long have they been not shooting for? I mean, this could have been months. And then... Yeah, probably months. They could have been going back and counting their money and Sean could have been slapping women and Harrison could have been, like, crashing planes. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, it's just, it just works so well with it. Um, but yeah, I'm watching the scene here. It's when he shoves the, the pole in the motorbike and it flips up. And Indy kind of like looks back, he's like ah, did you see that? And yeah. Sean just looks at him and he's like, looks at his watch, like, oh, like, dude, we've got, we've got to be somewhere. 
But yeah, the whole like, I wrote them in my book. Well, I didn't think I would have to remember. But he also looks kind of cute. Little Sean Connery in his little hat, like in his little sidecar. Like there he is. Um, You like how excited he gets too, where he starts going, well, there will be three challenges. (laughs) The hardest booby traps you've ever faced. There will be a troll. And first you must answer (laughs) three questions. Again, aliens in the next movie are too far. Literally, to get to the Holy Grail, you must pass three tests. Like, come on, you can't bag out aliens if this is okay. It's not. I mean, in all fairness, the the booby traps they face are things that any you could rig them up if you wanted to. Yeah, but if an alien rocked up to my door right now and wanted his crystal skull back, then (laughs) still more realistic than me finding a cave in the middle of a desert with booby traps. Um, (laughs) booby. Uh, but duty booby. <laughs> How do you like the duty boobies in this movie, Ben? I don't like boobies covered in duty. Um, but wasn't there hate Howdy Doody? Wasn't that a TV show? Um, Howdy Doody, yeah. Back to the Future Three. That's right. Howdy Doody time. Uh, <laughs> I keep forgetting we're doing Back to the Future this year. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's Howdy Doody. <laughs> Howdy doody time, it's howdy doody time. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so good. Uh, great. Yeah. Um, there also is a, a quick mention of his mom here, which the, that's a character that even the, the young and age on TV series, they didn't get to explore much. Uh, the, basically, the scenes of him as a child, because you had two actors in Young Indiana Jones. You had one actor who was like nine, 10 years old, and another one who was like, from 16 up, like to what, 20 or 21, whenever it ended. And they'd alternate. Like sometimes it would be an episode as a child. Sometimes it would be a teenager, sometimes an adult. But uh, the mother did get featured in some of the the uh, ones as a child. And there were, it was all out of sequence. So you may have had a, an episode that took place, you know, uh, 1911. And then three weeks later, you're back in 1909 or something. But there were like one or two episodes where you see the mom was sick, but she wasn't saying anything. And obviously had the show gone on longer, they would have gone further with that character, but it's kind of just left as a mystery here. Um, the So now we get the, the Hitler rally here as they decide to take one of two turns that they have in all of Austria, either Venice or Berlin, which way do you want to go? They're really, they, I, it's amazing. They don't even have a backwards arrow to castle or something, yeah. <laughs> anything that is not. Uh, I need Austrian to look, here. I need to look up a European map here just to see what, like, is that <laughs> logical? Like maybe it is, maybe there is a parallel is line. There's still a road. The, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Bob's road. That's what's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what road we're on. Bob's road. <laughs> Uh, they, they show up at the, uh, the Nazi book burning Hitler appreciation rally or whatever here. And Indy, what does he do? He knocks out a Nazi and steals his clothes. I just want to, like, just one scene of somebody. Greg, not again. <laughs> this happened two years ago. The submarine, like, keep your clothes on, Greg. God damn it, Poor Greg. Greg wandering around naked. Uh, Indy uh, goes basically to get the book from Elsa. You see that, you start to see that she has a little bit of a heart. This isn't like your typical villain where she has no redemption uh, because she looks mortified as they're burning all the books and everything. And even Indy, as he takes the diary back from her, she's like, oh, you don't think that I'm one of them, do you? And he, they, they have a bit of an argument. He he goes to choke her. He's like, all I have to do is squeeze. He's trying, he's trying to be Darth Vader, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I learned Force this choker. in the last 10 years. I can do <laughs> something with this. Well, speaking of being choked by Darth Vader, I did mention, aside from Julian Glover, we have another Empire Strikes Back uh, Imperial alumni Chewbacca. here. Chewbacca is playing uh, Adolf Hitler. Well, close. Uh, the guy who plays Adolf Hitler 
And I didn't even know this until I was looking through the full cast because he's uncredited in this movie. Michael Sheard, this is the guy who played Admiral Ozzel, the first guy to get choked out by Vader in Empire Strikes oh, yeah. Back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's as clumsy as he is stupid. Oh, yeah. So George Lucas decided, oh, this guy from Empire Strikes Back, we got another guy from Empire Strikes Back. Let's bring everybody from the Star Wars movies, as long as the James Bond movies, into this. So this guy would have had a career suffering after this. Played an imperial officer in the Empire, and now yeah. he's playing Hitler. Hit- like Robert- did he do anything decent? He's like Robert Carlyle played Hitler and a Bond <laughs> villain. Like, I mean, where's your career? I mean, isn't Robert Carlyle in uh, that stupid uh, Once Upon a Time show? Was like a oh, once yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, and also, just not talk about- quick update. Sorry to keep interrupting, but like, I'm just actually looking here at a Google map, and to be fair. If you were on the Austrian border, there's kind of a line between Venice and Berlin. <laughs> like, they're kind of almost... So I'll take that back, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. There you like, go. In all fairness, you can pass that off. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll take every little snide remark back. Well done, George and Steven, for your uh, accuracies in geography. Uh, another interesting note here is that... Um, the, the guy, Michael Sheard, who plays Hitler in this slash Admiral Ozzel, he played Hitler five times in his career. Now, he really is cursed. <laughs> wow. He, in 1976, he, start, he played Hitler in Rogue Male. 1978, he played Hitler in The Tomorrow People. 1985, he played Hitler in The Dirty Dozen, The Next Mission. Then Last Crusade. And then in a documentary in 2003, uh, Secret History, Hitler of the Andes, he played Hitler again. Uh, he also played Heinrich Himmler three times. Okay, look. in the death of Adolf Hitler, the bunker, and space. What's this guy's name? Michael Sheard. This is I love this last trivia bit here. Although Sheard never played Hermann Goring, he did play Goring's double in Allo Allo episode. So. I, I, I'm sorry, Michael, but like once, fine. Twice, okay. Three times. Mm. <laughs> if you play Hitler five, you're just a Nazi yourself. Like I think you've just got the costume in your closet, and you just go, "I'll do it." Five times is Hitler and three times is Hitler's right-hand man. I mean, did he have anything else in his career? He's probably the nicest um, man in the world, but he's probably just like, oh, God, I hate being nice. Like, who, who can I play? <laughs> Hitler. I will always play Hitler. Is he alive it's, still? He, uh, no, he died in 2005. He also uh, played the U-boat captain in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So interesting. He Another uh, returning actor here, but... Wow, outside of George Lucas, this guy just basically played Hitler, and even George Lucas cast him as Hitler. So poor Michael Sheard. Um... Yeah, anyway, so th- this rally scene, this this ends in... Probably, I can imagine this is what would, would have gotten the biggest laugh in the theater the first time around. Where as Indy's making his exit here, he gets caught in the all the people rushing towards Hitler, and then he turns around, and he's he's un- unintentionally had the book out, and Hitler's there looking at it, and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? And Hitler autographs it, uh, Adolf Hitler. It just needed like a best regards in there, and it would have made it better. But he now has the the diary to find the Holy Grail autographed by Adolf Hitler. Uh, now we get the uh, the sequence where they go on to the Zeppelin, and um, the this is, I guess, famous for the whole no ticket scene. Did you ever watch the Jay and Silent Bob movies? Uh, I saw one of them and didn't really like it, so I didn't bother with it. It's a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, outside of the Clerks movies, I, I think those are, like, very hit and miss. But uh, I, I remember one of them, uh, they did this sequence. It was like a sequence on a train. And Kevin Smith's character basically throws a guy off the train, and then he just turns around, and everybody's staring at him, and he just says, no ticket. <laughs> uh, so they they bore from this. But, yeah, this is, like, uh, I, I guess one of the famous one-liners from this movie. Uh, now, there is um, the, the, the guy that was in the previous two movies – um the the airplane fighting guy and uh pat roach and then he also was the uh the the, the kid whip the guy whipping the kids uh in temple of doom brown face 
Uh, he had a larger role in this movie, like an actual substantial role. So uh, the uh, the German commander or whatever we have who gets thrown off the plane here or the Zeppelin, uh, there's a guy who's basically walking up with him and I guess standing behind him after he gets thrown off. And that was supposed to be Pat Roach's role, but like all of his scenes were cut with the exception of like two shots here. So this guy still technically, I guess, is the only other non-Harrison Ford actor to appear in all three of the original movies. So it's some type of uh, thing to put on his resume, I guess. Uh, so yeah, after uh, they uh, throw the guy off of the Zeppelin, the no ticket thing, uh, this is where they're sitting down and Sean Connery settling his journal and Harrison Ford is just trying to have a nice moment. He goes, wow, do you remember the last time we had a quiet drink together? I do, I had a milkshake. <laughs> what did we talk about? Nothing, we never talked about anything. It was a lonely way to grow up. And he goes, I thought I was a great father. <laughs> He's like, you were a terrible father. He's like, I never told you to brush your teeth or wash your hands. I respected your privacy. And uh, and then the, the next part where he says, I mean, as human as the next man. And Harrison Ford's like, I was the next man <laughs> talking about uh, Elsa here. Uh, and Sean Connery again, I don't, I don't know. Did Sean Connery have kids? I mean, he probably has a million we didn't know about. But, uh, uh, didn't one of his kids play? Oh, Jason Connery. Yeah, he yeah. played Ian Fleming. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, Sean Connery, like this, this is a guy who knows how to give a dad look here. I can't even do this. And I'm, I've got three kids where he's like, fine. What do you want to talk about? And he's just glaring at him. He looks like, like this guy's going to hit me right now. Well, <laughs> it's such a good look. Got form. <laughs> but it's Connery but you are would. a man. So you're, you're good. Yeah, exactly. If it's a man talk, it's okay. Uh, and then Harrison Ford's like, nothing. Uh, interesting trivia bit about this scene is that they, they filmed this on a soundstage, but the air conditioning was broken that day. So it was so hot on this set that and connery sweats profusely which we saw on thunderball <laughs> that man definitely sweats uh so he basically said if you want me to film this scene that i'm taking my pants off and harrison ford's like connery's taking his pants off i'm taking my pants off so when you're watching this scene here they're actually in their underwear from the waist down not even like we're in shorts they're in their underwear from the waist I, down let's get a standard sean connery day i'm taking my pants exactly. off why should i just am don't ask questions <laughs> it's method acting. I do it. <laughs> it's Tuesday. <laughs> In my contract. Look it up, Spielberg. Pantless Tuesdays. <laughs> uh, so the, the Zeppelin starts turning around. They figure, oh, if it's turning around, then they probably are on to us. And then we're going to be going back to Germany. So there's this little plane that's on the bottom of this, which they use as an escape plane. And this is where you get the line, the follow up of uh, Temple of Doom, where in Temple of Doom, do you know how to fly a plane? No, do you? Now he's like, do you know how to fly? He goes, Fly, yes. Land, no. Landing being the one thing he didn't get to do in Temple of Doom. And in real life. Uh, and in real life, yes. <laughs> this is the, the Honest trailer, is this in it? Yeah, that, that's what they point out. They that's, say I think you mentioned that, yeah. yeah. I think there's like four occasions where it's been reported that like Harrison Ford's had a crash landing of an airplane or a helicopter. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently just uh, he's got form in crashing aircraft. <laughs> uh, I mean, this time it's actually Connery's fault. Though I, I do love this sequence and... and Again, it's another quick sequence. They're not going for these long drawn out action sequences like the truck chase. We're going to get something similar to that with the tank. But even that, when we get to it, I'll see it's supposed to have been shorter. Uh, so he's flying the plane and then you got the German plane chasing after them, shooting at them. And he tells Connery 11 o'clock. Uh, and he's like, he's like, what happens at 11 o'clock? <laughs> no, that's a me answer. <laughs> 9, 10, 11, 11 o'clock. Shoot. So he starts firing and Connery, of course, bumbling dad blows the back tail off of the plane. And he goes, what's happening? We're losing altitude. Oh, I have some bad news for you. They got us. Blames <laughs> <laughs> it on the Nazis. The part where they, they crash the plane here, 
Uh, and they get out and, and Connery is like, oh, they're, they're still firing at us. He goes, I know, dad. He goes, I'm sorry, this is a new experience for me. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. <laughs> Uh, we, I do, uh, we should mention we have this part where the, the plane crashes when they're in the cave uh, here cool. after they steal the car. Yeah. The plane gets his wings taken off and then it goes right past him. You get, you get Hannah Stokely here, Dude. giving her a look, <laughs> flaming, uh, plane going by the car here. Uh, and, uh, then we have, uh, the, the bombers, they're dropping bombs on them. Harrison Ford's all out of ideas. So Connery sees a bunch of seagulls. So he starts <laughs> opening up his umbrella. So this is like the Connery, uh, the Connery, I guess, insisting that he gets to do something. You have to show that the dad is smarter than his son without getting his hands dirty. And this is the way he proves it. <laughs> and, and it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the seagulls all crash the Nazi plane. It's a bad looking crash when it crashes yeah. in the distance though. Uh, but uh, a couple of bad effects in the movie is fine. It's 1989. Uh, but th- this is important though, because you without this moment here i don't think you really buy the end of the movie these two guys caring about each other mm-hmm. uh connery's gonna have a moment where he accepts him later on mm-hmm. and but this is the moment where harrison ford's like hey you know what like he even has that look which is a brilliant look on harrison ford's part talk about like no words acting here or it's just like wow my dad's smarter than i give him credit for he's cleverer than he looks that's what he should be saying better bit better, um, better, better than looking cleverer than you are yeah, I use that often. Uh, nobody ever really gets it. Another day <laughs> they, end they end up getting insulted when I say it. Uh, so that we get something that I actually never noticed till now when the you get the Donovan and the Nazis where they're basically trying to barter for vehicles to go through the desert to this canyon to find the, the grail. And it says the Republic of Hattay, which I'm like, I have never heard of this country. Does this exist? And I realized why I hadn't heard of it. I Googled it and the Republic of Hattay uh, actually existed as a republic only for less than a year, from September of 1938 to June of 1939. Oh, so yeah. I thought we're it was a country. At, I yeah, it was, and it was a real country. Well, whereabouts? Uh, well, it basically after June 1939, it became part of Turkey. So this ah. is supposed to be Turkish land, I okay. guess. That's cool. They formed their own republic and then <laughs> joined Turkey again after about sense. nine it's months. Like the the guys that are dressed up kind of have yeah, the, the, the Fez thing. Yeah. yeah. Fezes are cool. Fezes, I know, are, Fez or Fedora? What would you rather? Uh, I mean, a fedora, you're going to get less looks on the street, but I mean, yeah. a fez is cool. Fez. I, 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 it would, it would take, it would take somebody pretty daring to pull off a fez, but I would, I would applaud anybody who decides to wear a fez. I, I feel like fez is probably, is it culturally insensitive? Like, I mean, like, I, yeah, I probably, no seriousness, <laughs> as much as I've like talked about them, I actually do like turbans, but I'm not going to pull off a turban. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> so whereas like a fez, yeah, I think like, oh, a white man wears a fez, uh, like probably not a good look for me, but I can pull off a uh, fedora, shut up, yeah, Noah. Your fedora is a substitute for this. I still don't think the fedora is that bad. Thank you, Noah. It, uh, Colin, I'm calling you Noah now. I'm saying that. Don't I'm, call I'm dr- me that. I'm dreaming of the day I hear that from Noah. I'm like, thank you, Noah. <laughs> You're dreaming of Noah. I dream of Noah a lot. Oh, I, I don't think I've ever dreamed about either of you. Oh. I have work dreams. Well, like everybody Fuck has you. work dreams, right? What impact on <laughs> like, your life? Here's the thing. Everybody has work dreams, right? But even in my work dreams, I don't think that it's the people I work with. I think that I'm in a work environment and there's people I don't recognize. So I rarely dream about even my family's rarely in my dreams. We we, we established this. You're an enigma. Your feet don't smell. You can eat things. I don't dream. 
Um, I don't dream. I'm not scared of snakes or spiders. Yeah. Um. I look. I I would have dreamed about you and Noah. Could I? Rem- they're not that memorable. I don't think I've had sex dreams about you. Thank God. <laughs> Thankfully. So, have you ever had a sex dream, Colin? Ah. See. J- you know. Jamie. Jamie mentions things when she has dreams, and sometimes they include me. I'm lucky sometimes. But uh, I. I often tell her. I'm like. I kind of wish I was that lucky. You know. <laughs> so you've never had a sex dream. I don't think I have, honestly. I, I don't think I have. I like, I li- like, you know, they, they they happen, but like, there have been like, I literally had a dream when I was like eighteen, a sex dream about Paris Hilton, and I've never really like had a thought on Paris Hilton. She is the- Nicole Richie. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, like to me, but like after this sex dream, like it was just, it was so like even nearly eighteen years later in my life, I remember this sex dream, and I was like literally flustered at school the next time. I'm like, Ooh, that dream last <laughs> night. And I'm like, like, damn, Paris Hilton. Um, so that's like the most mem- one of the most memorable dreams I've ever had in my life, a sex dream about Paris Hilton when I was like 18. And, and do you even care about Paris Hilton before or after? I, again, like I've always nothing Paris Hilton, but like the thing that I weirdly respect about Paris Hilton, because she's obviously in the vein of that celebrity of why they really a celebrity, right? Like the Kardashians. Yeah. My thing that I can respect about Paris Hilton at least when she was famous for being famous, she was like, oh, maybe I'll try singing. Maybe I'll try acting. Maybe I'll try this. And, like, she built enough of a clout that nowadays she is worth, I think, more than she ever was. She's, like, legitimately a brilliant DJ. She's released a book. Like, she's respected now. Whereas Kim Kardashian did nothing. So, like, that's my difference between the two. So I can respect Paris Hilton. I mean, I could care less about Paris Hilton, but, but the fact is there have been multiple people who have said, Everything you see about her in the media and on TV is 100% nat. Like she's she's not not like the most intelligent person you ever meet. But like she is a regularly intelligent person. She is not dizzy. She doesn't even talk like that. People say in real life like that. That's commitment to a role. That's yeah. method acting. <laughs> there was there was a um, a very famous thing that happened. She came out here for like our our version of the Kentucky Derby here in Australia. It's called the Melbourne Cup. And so this was like peak Paris Hilton simple life. Like I'm talking 2004 2005. And she came out here to like make an appearance there. And this again was peak Australian Idol. This is like season two, season three. So there was a singer on that. He got like fourth or fifth. But anyway, he basically ended up being shown in all these public like paparazzi photos of them like kissing on a balcony. It was a huge fucking deal. He went on to become like a very prominent theatre actor in Australia. He was on Neighbours for a little bit anyway. And I had him on my radio show like many years later. He came in, he was in studio and like, I legitimately, like, I don't think he talked about it much. Now he talks about it every fucking five minutes. Oh yeah, I fucked Paris Hilton. But like at the time, it was kind of like, I think my five questions I had on the show was like, you know, celebrity crush growing up. And he said someone, I'm like, oh, I was going to say someone else there. And he's like, who, who are you going to say? I'm like, oh, Paris Hilton. And he's like, next question. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, can I tell you about a dream I had? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I had this dream. <laughs> can you tell me how accurate each description is when you slept with Paris Hilton? So I have like a Kevin Bacon number to Paris Hilton of two. <laughs> Good for you. That's Thank something you. to put on your resume. It is. Uh, anyways, yes. That's how I got my job. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're bartering to get vehicles and guns and stuff like that. The I don't know where the king of Hatay or whatever is not interested until he sees the car. And they basically say, fine, I, I even like the colors. I'm like, well, the keys are in the ignition. You'll, you'll have everything you need. I don't know how much this car is worth, but I mean... <laughs> Do you think a tank goes for more money than the, the, what are the, this uh, Mercedes or I mean, whatever this is? I look, pro- pro- probably would, but I think at the time, like, isn't it just meant to be like a joke of like luxury? And like, I mean, this was like 
that's probably what you know, like one of those brand new Aston Martins on James Bond looks like. That's that's a brand yeah. new car in nineteen, and probably not available in Hitler. And a Mercedes, like I mean, you know, you, I think we were talking about like the influences the Nazis and Hitler had on the world. I mean, anyone who drives a Mercedes or a BMW, you should probably question your morals. Um, yeah, <laughs> they were born out of Nazi Germany, so just saying. <laughs> Check somewhere around your gas gauge for that swastika. It'll exactly. be there somewhere. <laughs> the, the day when the Germans... Uh, turn, what was that Simpsons episode where, like, they basically imply that the Russians, like, are doing all their, like, fancy, like, things and they're just waiting for any excuse to go to war? Uh, and then, like, oh, they've know. got... There's, like, there's showing, like, live festival of, like, Moscow having, like, a teddy bear parade and then somebody's like, we are able to get back into the war and they press a the button all the tanks, like, show up and the Soviet Union, like, turns in. It's like the Germans. They're just waiting. So they press a the button and all the freaking Mercedes and BMWs of the world turn into, like, tanks. Is it that far for them to just drive their own tanks from Germany? <laughs> well, Turkey to Germany. I mean, it is the 30s. Uh, yeah. yeah, well... They, they flew there. I mean, I guess you can't put a tank. Maybe you could put a I tank. I don't know. Hatai really liked freaking Mercedes. Apparently, yes. Uh, so, yeah, we also see the the guy, the brotherhood of the Crucifix Sword guy in the background, giving this death stare, like, ooh, what's he up to? Uh, and uh, now we have the, uh, the the part where they've met up with Sala. They're kind of overlooking the, the canyon, uh, and Indian is looking through the binoculars and Henry's giving advice. Like, oh, they're, they're going to see you. It's like, relax, dad. We're far out of range. And of course they spot <laughs> the flash of binoculars and boom, start blowing. They blow up Sala's brother-in-law's car. And this is really the only other purpose Sala has to this movie. My brother-in-law's car. And then Indy's saying, all right, we need other transportation. Sala, go get us some horses. Oh, well, get some camels. No camels, just horses, <laughs> which this will this will be the thing that comes back around later. Is I said, uh, no camels. And that's five. <laughs> Uh, but uh, this is uh, where he tells the dad to stay put, but he doesn't. He ends up climbing into the tank and basically gets kidnapped with Marcus after trying to free him. Uh, and uh, this is the biggest action sequence of the movie. Now, again, originally this was conceived as being a very short sequence in the movie. It was going to be, you know, more than a couple of shots, but maybe a two minute long thing. And in the end, this is like probably 10 minutes long or at least close to 10 minutes. I mean, it's it's an amazing sequence. I think this is probably the... I, I'm torn between this and the uh, the the boat chase in Venice, but uh, I think this one just for the length of it and the drama and how many this is that Indiana Jones staple of you have to have three or four different things going on at the same time and everybody's in jeopardy. Uh, I love uh, Henry though with a the, he uses this the the pen to take out the guy and then Marcus like the sword is mightier than the pen. They're both like ah. This is a James Bond moment. <laughs> the total James Bond moment. Don't say uh, and, it. The writing's on the wall. <laughs> uh, also, there's the gunfires going on. They think this is Indiana Jones or the Nazis do. Turns out it's these Brotherhood guys. They're the ones returning fire, so they're technically on Indy's side. Uh, we, I also love the secret handshake that Indy and Marcus give each other. Uh, they've obviously been friends for a long time. Uh, and uh, the uh, what else happens? Oh, yeah, so there's a couple of things here. The... Now, there's a part where the car lands on top or they plow through the car with the big gun on the tank mm -hmm. and it shoots it right off. Now, I get this other gun is not as big or as powerful, but if one gun on a tank can blow a car off of it, Indy crams a pebble into it. Yeah. And not only does it does it actually lock the gun, but it backfires and kills the guy in there. Uh, by the way, that guy who dies, I think it, it, that's the role he has. He's one of the guys in the tank, but I'm pretty sure he's the guy who 
dies when the gun goes off. That's Nick Gillard, who was a stunt man in these movies, but he would go on to become the stunt coordinator in the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. He's the guy who designed all the lightsaber battles for episodes one, two, and three. Oh, cool. And I remember that being like a trivia bit in one of the Star Wars Insider magazines like you know, 20 years ago. Somebody's like, is that Nick Gillard, the stunt choreographer? And they're like, good eye. You're the first one to catch it. <laughs> that is the geekiest. Those kids still haven't had sex. Is yeah, that Nick exactly. Gillard, the stunt hey. Fuck. <laughs> that, that, was, that was me, and that explains why I don't even have sex dreams. True. <laughs> I don't have sex. Like, I don't even have no sex dreams. No disrespect to nerds. I'm definitely one, but at least like <laughs> I don't know who Nick Gillard is in a scene. <laughs> Uh, I I also love the slapstick stuff here, like where he does the the face plant right into the periscope. (laughs) And that guy's like looking going, "Ah, ah, ah." then he turns around and it hits him in there. Doink. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, this fight scene on top of the tank is intense too. Mm. Uh, Especially the part where uh, Indy's like getting his face scraped against the treads, which obviously that wasn't real. They used like a rubber one or something like that. It still must've hurt. Uh, And then another kind of slapsticky moment, which, I think it only becomes slapsticky because of Connery's selling the, the the reaction is where he's stuck on the treads and he's about to get sucked under and Indy whips his leg and the look on Connery's face where he stops like, whoa! <laughs> it's just hilarious. Uh, obviously, the, the climax of this is uh, the tank's about to go over the cliff. They, there's that great zoom-in shot on Indy where his hat blows off right before it's about to go over. And then you see the tank go over and they got another kind of cheesy effect but again i think cheesy effects lend themselves well to this franchise more so than they would to you know something else released in the 80s like batman or whatever or back to the future uh but yeah that shot of the nazi screaming as the tank gets pancaked at the bottom of the cliff uh they of course everybody thinks and i even remember thinking oh indy went over the cliff what's going to happen here and they're all looking over and henry's like oh I didn't even have time to say to the all I needed was one more minute. It's it's a really sad moment. They're all just sort of like hands on their hearts, hats off, and they're mourning him. There's tears in their eyes. And then Harrison Ford, again, not even saying a word, just the funniest thing you've seen in this whole movie. He walks up. You realize he actually held onto a branch. He climbs up. And the way that he sort of looks over the shoulders and he's like, yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even realize they think he's dead. And then uh, obviously dad hugs him. I thought I lost you or whatever. It's Jurassic uh, Park we'll 3. S- you, you talked about how oh, uh, yeah, you yeah, lost yeah. world. It's it's the William H. Macy death scene. Like, oh, yeah. oh, I'm right I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll stop there just before we get to, I guess, the big climax. I love this chase sequence. It might be my favorite um in all of the indie movies but i the thing that just again going to like all the slapstick stuff like literally when he puts the pebble in and you see it like blown open with like the cartoonish like the metal is like all perfectly like folded out you know what this made me think of a lot and you're gonna completely roll your eyes out because i can see it's a dumb way for me to connect the two movies but it's similar it's a Dudley Do-Ride. It's just a giant cartoon. Like, I mean, it's just yeah. slapstick comedy. Like, I mean, that's why I love Dudley Do-Ride so much because it's a live-action cartoon and it knows what it is. This knows mm-hmm. what it is. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying Dudley Do-Ride is better than Indiana Jones. It's not. But, I, I again, my point about aliens, you can't criticise that. You can't criticise Dudley Do-Ride. If that wasn't mm-hmm. a Canadian stereotype, you'd maybe like it more. Hey, I got one over Colin there. He agrees with me. Um, but also, like, the one scene that my favourite scene maybe in all of the Indiana Jones movies is when he's got all those freaking Nazis on top of the tank and he shoots them and they all the bullet goes through, like, five of them oh. and they all collapse <laughs> and he just sort of looks and is like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's like, you got to have, like, one in every movie, right? You have, like, the whip, 
in the in Raiders mm-hmm. and then the shot. And then the second one, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to do it again. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I don't have a gun. This one's that I'm guessing there's got to be some form of like moment like that in Crystal Skull, surely. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, keep up with the trends. It's just fun. But um, it's just a fun sequence. I, I really do love it. And yeah, like it is a very hammy shot of them falling over the cliff. And because you, you can see the dummy like bouncing yeah. out of the thing. It's like, oh God, that looks bad. But at the same time, you're right. Like sometimes you just kind of, you can excuse it. It's like there's so many things in Star Wars that even no matter how many times they've gone over a brush with or George Lucas has re-edited, it still looks bad. But like, mm. again, you can excuse it. Like, y- you know, like there was stuff that even practically it might be a blink and you miss like, oh, that looks cringy, that you would still hold up over the Scorpion King and the Mummy Returns. Yeah. Or the- oh, and I... We tried to rewatch Van Helsing mm. about a month or two ago, and that looks horrible. Yeah, and as much as I love Die Another Day, obviously I still can't forgive the surfing sequence. So, like, mm. I mean, you know, there are things that even that were done 20 years after this that look terrible. Uh, so there is that. I um, I just want to obviously back to, I, I mean, the Hitler scene is hilarious. And I just, like... I you know, I love the set design they do on this. Like, obviously, I'm sure this is, like, on a back lot somewhere in Hollywood, but, like, they're full-on made, like, this whole, like, Nazi thing with books burning and just, like, everything along those lines. Like, it's a really cool sequence. And I just, like, it's so slapstick and silly. Like, Indiana Jones gets thrown into Hitler. He's got the thing that he wants, and you're kind of like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And Hitler autographs a book. And then leaves. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get, like, put this on paper and just, like, if people hadn't seen this, if you were, like, literally to go, like, guess what movie this is from, you would think this is from, like, you know, Blazing Saddles or, like, some sort of, like, Mel Brooks film or, like, Airplane or just something like that because it is almost just like a, a parody sort of film. But this is in, like, one of the most, you know, beloved franchises of all time, you know. But, like, it's just, it's so good, like... It's interesting because, again, Crystal Skull, I don't remember it as a lot. I've seen it once. But I know the bits that are, like, kind of laughed at. Like, obviously, the nuke in the fridge, the monkey scene when they're, like, going through the jungle, the gophers. But, like, thinking about this now, like, why are they so... Re- Is it just because they're they're yeah. visually looking terrible? Because I've, I've seen, like, lots of the footage and, yeah, those gophers and the monkey thing doesn't look fantastic. But, like, why is that, like, mocked and looked down on when, like, they literally got him bumping into Hitler yeah. and he's signing a book? Like that's so yeah, like, like silly. This this is the same thing we talked about during the Star Wars prequels is that you had this unfortunate gap between the movies so that the people who grew up on episodes four, five, and six suddenly were watching one, two, and three, and they didn't realize these are the same type of movies that you grew up watching. It's just because you grew up watching it, you accept the dumb things about it and the childishness. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Indiana Jones. There's really no difference in most of King of the Crystal Skull from what we get in this movie. Yeah. I like that's just I get it. And also like, you know, I think a lot of what adds to things like that is actors' age, you've kind of got visuals of what they look like, or the style. Like movie making changes in what, like seventeen years between Last Crusade and Crystal Skull, like methods change. Like, yeah, okay, they're not doing as much practical effects, but there are reasons why they use computers more nowadays than they do with practical effects. You know, yeah. and it's things like that. Like, it's no different to, I'm sure, Dial of Destiny. At the time of us recording this, it's not looking like it's getting good reviews. Not that I've really read them. I'm just seeing the percentage score. But a movie made in 2023 is going to look visually different for 2008. We saw that with mm-hmm. The Force Awakens. Everyone was like, immediately that one was released. Finally, we got the Star Wars sequel that we wanted. This shit's all over the prequels. Yes, yes, yes. In hindsight now, that 
opinion's terrible because everybody's all like, yeah, yeah the prequels are better. The sequel sucked. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you think about those sort of things. Anyway, I'm going on a rant. I love the Hitler stuff. It's just funny and it looks great. I, I, yeah, I love that didn't have a ticket line. So funny. And everybody <laughs> rushes and gets their ticket out. And, yeah, the plane sequence, again, hammy effects. But was because Back to the Future 2 was also 1989, wasn't it? So, like, I love Yeah, it was six months later. So, we kind of have this, like, the year of tunnel chases. Because it's Back to the Future 2, isn't it, mm-hmm. when he's got that tunnel chase going through on the car, right? The hoverboard, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like you've got two of that. But I just love them when they're just staring at him as he's driving through. And what's the thing they say, like, well, that was close. And then next minute you've got a bomb, like, literally dropping on top. <laughs> that goes flat into, like, a ditch. That's funny. Um, you know, is that is that a little bit like from Russia with Love as well? Yeah, with the whole drop in the bombs, the plane. Wow, yeah. I think Spielberg really was lifting some things from uh, Bond. That I mean, are we glad that? Well, not say glad. Like, would we have wanted Spielberg to do a Bond movie? I know we've talked about this before, but it kind of would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, I think early Spielberg could have really done something. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, those movies they're so they're so designed by the producers that I don't know how much individuality directors really brought on them back in the day. I mean, you would have, obviously, you know, the Terrence Young movies were very different from uh, maybe the Lewis Gilbert ones. But if you look at even Goldfinger, is Goldfinger that different from Dr. No Mm. or Thunderball even? I mean, for Much With Love, maybe. I think I think it, it it really, the director doesn't didn't have that much contribution back those days. I think whereas now, I mean, Sam Mendes, I think, was maybe the one that really changed it. Like, cause I mean, I yeah. think you got to look at those two films were very different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, Quentin Tarantino had an interview recently where he talked a little bit more about uh, him nearly doing Casino Royale, um, which I don't know if you saw, which was quite interesting. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, I mean, this is all fantastic. And like, it's kind of like, I think you touched on before about the action. Like this is pure action, this entire movie. There's like barely scenes, but this scene when Indy and his dad are like having a chat, like, I don't like, are we meant to sympathize more with either or the other? I feel like they kind of do it in such a way where you kind of almost feel for both of them. Like, yeah, I don't know if they're meant to be pointing out Henry to be this dick of a dad, but you even kind of like the way he explains it, you're kind of like, yeah, right. And it's also like, again, using the excuse of the time period, you know, it wasn't really a thing that dads mm-hmm. were that sort of lovable with their sons. Like it was kind of frowned upon back in those days. So especially a single father. That's exactly. the other thing that this movie doesn't even address. This guy basically raised them as a single dad. Yeah. And we know that if this was today, like Indy would be complaining, well, you would never have for me, dad. I need therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like back then he's like, well, I became an archeologist when men were men. Uh, so what's interesting, as you said, we've both been saying this movie, just nonstop action, one sequence after the other. From this point on, there's not really any action. There's a brief thing at the end, but this just sort of becomes story, which is different from the other indie movies. I mean, I guess Raiders, to a certain extent, once they once they got on the boat, you just had a couple of quick scenes, but not really like boom, you know, uh, explosion action. But uh, you see them make their way through this. And I do love to keep referring to the canyon, the crescent moon, and you literally see this thing in the crescent moon shape, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. I don't know if this is, I know that they went into a real canyon film this, and even that uh, structure on the outside, they filmed this in Jordan. It was like a Petra or something like that. This is like a real structure that exists. Uh, but they, they kind of had to barter their way to even get uh, permission from like the, the Jordanian government to even film here. So I mean, real location, that's something that uh, maybe King of the Crystal Skull could use more. That'll be my biggest complaint when we get to King of the Crystal Skull is that there's one real location they actually used and it was like a single shot. <laughs> and then they did nothing else with it. 
But getting real locations for this, even if the inside of these caves is a soundstage, it's still amazing. Um, there's one shot here, which ever since I was a kid, I always noticed this, and I don't know if you ever did, but right as Indy and Sala and Henry and Marcus all pull up, there's like an up-close shot of one of the horses, and this horse just has like the craziest expression on its face. This is like, this this horse is coked out or something. <laughs> um, Connery was definitely slipping at something in between takes here. <laughs> I always just love the crazy horse face, which I'm probably the only person. It wasn't even just me. I remember, you know, uh, Jamie, I point out to her and she's always like, oh, when's the crazy horse face come up? She can't wait to see it. Uh, so basically the villains have already been at this for a while before Indy gets in, which is different. Uh, you already see four or five corpses on the ground, and they're just sort of spying in there. And uh, uh, they take them hostage, and uh, obviously you have the Walter PPK gun that I mentioned, so now we got the Bond villain holding a gun on Indy and his dad, but he shoots Sean Connery. So Sean Connery's now got a gaping wound in his chest, and uh, the only way that he's going to save him is obviously by getting the Holy Grail, which is actually a clever... Would you do talk about... Julian Glover being a dumb villain. I think this might be the one smart thing he does in the movie. He's yeah. like, okay, hey, my guys aren't going to know you. I don't even need this diary anymore. I'm going to force your hand. If he did this the other way, chances are Connor just like, just shoot the kid. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't care less. <laughs> kill him. He means nothing to me. <laughs> he means nothing to me. Uh, so now Indy has to go through these challenges and uh, they, they did read in the diary what they were earlier. So uh, I love just the slow build up here with no music and him you know, repeating these clues over and over again. The first one's talking about a penitent man, and then he's figuring, okay, so what? what is this going to mean? And uh, and then he says, oh, a penitent man's humble, and he basically means kneel. So he kneels. Now, this is the only booby trap where I think, like, there's no physical logic to how this works. Mm. It's a bunch of blades that are sawing people in half, but you there's this gust of wind that comes beforehand. Now, the close thing we get to this is in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's those spears that come out when you when you that kill Alfred Molina on the way back out when you put your hand in the light. But it's like, but how do you have light sensitive triggers on these things? This even more so. I don't know where the wind is coming from, but uh, saws them in half. Indy ducks and rolls. I don't know how he knows to duck and roll here because there's two saws, but he makes it through. He yells back. He's through. The second one is uh, he is the the name of God. So he's trying to figure out how to work this alphabet. He figures out the name Jehovah, but then he steps on the wrong letter. And then Connery's even, I love how Connery's giving the clues, even though Andy can't hear him. It's like they're they're on the same wavelength. They're thinking the same things. So he spells it with the I first and he goes through it all. Uh, this is the one part I wonder though, because he stops the blades. And then the third clue, he's going to put the gravel down. But this one, how does Julian Glover and Elsa know mm. how to pass this one? Maybe they were listening to Sean Connery whisper it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but uh, I think he, he, he's pretty quiet and dying at that point. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it, there was a shot in the background where they were like looking on towards Indy. So I don't know if they could hear him or they sort of saw where he There's was jumping. Book. But Maybe they're looking at the book. They looked at the book and then she figured it out maybe. Uh, but uh, yeah, then he, he gets to the third one and this is the one that I even remember as a kid. I'm like, oh. and still, I kind of, I, I don't really have a fear of heights. Of course I don't, right? Uh, but, You're a man. Uh, that's what I believe. If you have sex dreams, you also get a fear of heights. It's just the two go hand in hand. Yep. But uh, I, I really don't care uh, about heights at all. But like when I look at this, when he takes that step, I still get chills. I'm like, oh, like, and, and I know what's going to happen. It's just so well shot. The, the idea that you, you have to take this leap of faith and when he steps down, you realize that there's a path there. It's just it's completely camouflaged, which is really clever. 
Uh, then he throws the gravel back, so that's how um, Julian Glover and everything, but he's going to get past. So he gets inside the chamber here, and he finds this very old knight who has been drinking from the grail for a 1,000 years, or se- I think it's 700 years or something like that. And I love this guy. There's very little comedy from this point on until we get to the final scene. But we still get that one laugh here. He goes, you're just very oddly for a night. And he's grabbing his whip. <laughs> uh, so uh, Julian Glover comes in really quickly after this. Uh, he identifies himself being the last night. This is the the guy when they talked about those brothers of the Crusades earlier on, that that three of them uh, went, only one of them came out of the desert, that uh, they they... It was like a hundred years later, he came out of the desert. Uh, so he's basically saying you have to choose one of the cups. It'll give you life. The other one will take it from you, but you have to choose wisely. So Julian Glover uh, is, wants to take it, but Elsa basically says, let me choose. I'll choose for you. Now, I don't know whether Indy knows that she's doing this or not. I mean, obviously she has a plan that she wants to kill Julian Glover with this. So she picks the wrong one. Cause she even says, Hey, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be made of jewels or gold or anything like that. But, uh, Indy does, he doesn't really have a moment where he's like, okay, did you do that intentionally? Or are you just really bad at this? Like he, he's very quick to trust her, but they basically look at all the cups are like, Oh, it would have to be this cup because it's like this poor broken down cup. Indy takes it. He doesn't die. And then this guy goes, you chose wisely, which I did miss when Julian Glover takes it. Uh, and he drinks it. This is where you have that, his face growing and then the hair and everything which uh, was CGI. I mean, they had done a few no, CGI. I they really did that with Julian Glover. I thought he really did just die. <laughs> well, I, I I was wondering about this because we asked him, we asked him about everything he was involved in. And Doctor Who, he also had this very hideous mask that they had made of his face. And I remember him telling a story, but he had a replica that like was terrifying. His wife wouldn't allow him to have mm. it out. And then he dug it up in his garage like you know, a few months before he uh, uh, interviewed him. I thought it was something from Last Crusade, but I think that was a Doctor Who one because I read up that this was like the first fully computer-generated image of something. Like they had had a movie called Young Sherlock Holmes earlier in this where there was like a painting that came alive and that was CGI. And uh, you had um, uh, Willow where there was a morphing of animals, but they just used computer effects to morph one animal into the other. Nothing was like fully computer-generated. When you saw a lion, it was still a lion. When you saw a duck, it was still a duck. <laughs> this, they actually... Compu- completely computer generated this Doesn't morphing of his head. It looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah. For some of the shoddy effects they do have in here, this one really holds up and this is very early CGI. Uh, it's a terrifying shot too. I mean, Elsa's scream too, where he throws himself back and just shatters. That's great. But yeah, Indy doesn't die. So he says, you chose poorly to Donovan. You chose wisely for Indy. Then he warns him not to take it beyond the seal. Uh, they go back. They give the cup to Sean Connery. I love they pour it on his wound and it bubbles. <laughs> Which I still question, does he have that bullet inside of him for the rest of his life now? Because they've now sealed any way of getting it out. Sure. This seals the wound. Does he die of lead some poisoning? People, some people have bullets left in them. So Yeah, true. Um, I mean, he is very old, though. So is he going to survive this? Uh, if, if that gets in his liver, <laughs> this stuff there will break it down. Uh, but uh, Sean Connery uh, comes to, and this is where Elsa is like, oh, look, we got the, the grail. It's ours now. And he's telling her, don't cross the seal. She just takes one step across this, and the whole structure starts to crumble. Uh, and this is such a great dramatic final moment we have here where the whole castle or what do we call this tomb is crumbling. Elsa falls into this chasm. Uh, she's barely holding on. She's trying to reach the grail. Indy's telling her, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And then all of a sudden she has her glove slip and she falls in. 
Indy falls and now he's trying to reach it. And it's kind of like this moment of like, um, like the Lord of the Rings, like, oh, the ring's calling to me. Now I got to reach it. Cause he was just telling her, don't, it's not worth it. Now he's trying to reach it. And Sean Connery is like, oh no, no. Uh, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And this is the first time he calls him Indiana. And I love this one. Like this moment still almost makes me tear up where, where he said like India and like, you don't know the whole deal with Indiana and junior at this point. You just know he's called him junior the whole movie. And then he suddenly says, Indiana, let it go. And you get this nice fatherly moment of like him accepting him here, pulls him up. They get out of there just as the whole thing falls apart. They wave goodbye to the little night there. Where he's like, guys, I'm mortal now. <laughs> I don't even have my cup. And now I'm just going to be crushed to death. It's a pretty cruel way to die. They could have taken him with them. Uh, they get outside, the whole thing's uh, falling apart. Uh, and now we get like the, the final laugh scene here is Sala and Marcus and Henry and Indy are all together. And he calls him Junior again. And then he's like, what is it with you all calling him Junior? And he goes, that's his name, Henry Jones Jr. <laughs> and he says, I prefer Indiana. We named the dog Indiana. <laughs> Great Connery delivery there. I have a lot of fond memories of that dog. Uh, I, I didn't even know the trivia. I think most people, even in the audience, in 1989, probably knew the trivia about it was named after George Lucas's dog, which is why they put it in here. But I, as a kid, I had no idea. So I just remember this being hilarious, like Indiana Jones picked the name of his dog. But it, it's such a funny moment uh, just to end it off on. Uh, and then when he doesn't have a lot of fond memories of the dog, too. <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine naming myself after one of my pets. You know, if you have a, a, a sibling that dies, a best friend that dies, maybe... But you're just going to be like, uh, I'm going to name myself after my dog. Do you have any pets that you would even take the name of? I'd never really had boy pets growing up. Um, my Padme? mom. Yeah. <laughs> What's a girl? My, my mom was very like a sexist pet owner. She only would ever get female pets. Uh, she was like, boy pets are dirty. Uh, so my mom was very sexist with animals. But yeah, Stiggy <laughs> was literally the first boy animal I ever owned. Unless some of my fish were boys. I didn't really lift up the dinosaur skirts and check their gender. <laughs> um, but I mean, I could call myself Stiggy. When I get a next cat, I get Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I prefer Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, uh, Becky, Pippa, um, Mittens, um, Stiggy, Smoothie. Yeah. Not really. What was your best pet name? I had some good ones. Uh, I mean, all our pets had logic behind their names, um, except for Mittens was just the RSPCA. She was already called that when I got her. We had got Molly and Mittens. Like, yeah, that'll do. Um, Becky was my dog growing up, and I think that was just literally named after mum liked the name Rebecca, so it was short for Becky. Uh, we gave our animals middle names too. We were we were very Did proper. You? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ellie, we had a husky called Ellie. I can't remember why it was called Ellie. Pippa was named after, um, you know, the movie Born Free? It was like yeah. a lion movie. So the woman who made that or it was based on, she was like, you know, lion. I used to love that movie as a kid. And she wrote a book on a, like living with a cheetah in Africa and she called the cheetah Pippa. So that was that. And then um, Stiggy was named after the dinosaur in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the Stigger, mm-hmm. Stigger, Yeah. So my long winded uh, was saying of, they're just named after things. I didn't just go like, ah, oh, dog. Padme, uh, named know. after, you know, Natalie Portman. I wonder where you got that I one from. I could pet Padme. You had sex dreams about Padme. I'll tell you which one. <laughs> no comment. Uh, we, we had an animal that was named after a Kiefer Sutherland character. You were oh. impressed with this. Uh, it, it was actually my dog, but my mom decided, okay, I'll get you a dog, but I'm going to pick the name. And there was a Kiefer Sutherland movie that he made with Dennis Hopper from like the early 90s called Flashback, 
which I remember being like a really good movie. It was like Kiefer Sutherland was raised by a hippie <laughs> and he completely rejected that life and became like this stuck up FBI agent or something. But his birth name was Free, as you said, born free. So uh. my mom had named my dog Free, which was nice. named after Kiefer Sutherland, which she also liked Kiefer Sutherland. Aww. She just named him Kiefer. Um, I had uh, be my, a good my dog hamster. name. Yeah, well, maybe I'll find, when I get my dog, I'll name it Kiefer. Yeah, <laughs> Kiefer. Kiefer, no. get off the cow. Kiefer, get off Jamie. <laughs> and also the dog too. What are you doing in my Kiefer, house, Kiefer Sutherland? Stop, stop biting Casey, Kiefer. <laughs> Kiefer, stop on the Christmas tree. Kiefer, stop licking my face. No, that won't be okay. <laughs> Kiefer, right? keep licking my face. <laughs> keep licking. Uh, I my hamsters all have fun names. I had a uh, Snouts was one of my hamster. <laughs> wow. Uh, I had one named Trousers. I oh, just picked words that I thought was funny. Uh, our current one's name is Philly, which is named after a character from an American tale, the, the mouse movie, which oh, is like yeah, Casper's yeah. favorite. My, my favorite uh, pet I've ever had is actually called Noah. Noah? <laughs> He's my pet. Uh, that's a terrible pet. That's the one who's always pooping on the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not pooping on the carpet. Coming home drunk every night, pooping all over everything. Blonde with uh, nice teeth. <laughs> he's going for that white Aryan look <laughs> he would really fit in with the Nazis you, you did not react at all when you got on that call last night whereas as soon as I said I'm like god damn who are you in like BTS or something what's going on <laughs> and he smiled yeah. and he yeah. literally like I said to him like that episode of Friends where Ross gets his teeth done white and he turns a light off and they glow I'm like, <laughs> like that's what you've turned into it's funny, I, now that you mentioned that when I made the connection how long he's been in Korea, I was like, you choose leaving Korea to turn into a member of BTS? <laughs> God damn, Noah. What's going on? Anyways, yeah, fun animal names. And then, of course, the last funny moment here where uh, Marcus goes full Jar Jar Binks. Follow me. I know the way. <laughs> he's got his arm flopping the air. Misa know the way. Misa know the way. <laughs> it's very Jar Jar. Uh, and, of course, they ride off into the sunset as the music plays again, which perfect way to end this movie i i do love like the ending of this um it's i, I think it's a bit better than raiders because raiders like i mean this is kind of quickish but like i feel this is more dramatic than raiders because you've got this whole like trying to cross the the you know the this is kind of like the opening of raiders mixed with the end of raiders in some mm. weird way um but like it is very tense and yeah, like the you're right. Julian Glover is smart in shooting Harrison Ford, uh, Sean Connery. And again, like back to my point, probably the only case of a Bond villain shooting a James Bond yeah. in a different movie where they didn't appear together. So you know, I I look forward to Mads Mikkelsen shooting Pierce oh. Brosnan in a movie coming soon or something like that. Just pause for a second. Um, there's I've mentioned before a TV series. It was really a series of like TV movies. Sean Bean made called Sharp. It was like Napoleonic mm. War. Uh, there's one where him and Toby Stevens, oh. or Toby Stevens plays the villain and Sean Bean plays the hero. But I, I'd seen this episode multiple times before and never actually connected the dots. They literally play out the die another day fencing scene yeah. in in this sharp story where, where it's even down to, oh, how about a friendly challenge? And then they're fighting and it goes a little bit too far. It's like, oh, it's just a friendly fencing match or whatever. It's the exact same scene except the Sean Bean versus Toby is Stevens. Toby, here. Is Toby Stevens just typecast now? Like, oh God, I've done this. Don't tell I mean, me I'm wearing a robo lost, suit. <laughs> up until Lost in Space, yeah. You know, I just had a random thought for a good interview on Off the Podium. Should we not get the one of the fencing gold medalists from Sydney and like introduce them uh, as Miranda Frost and be like, yeah. so tell us about you getting disqualified. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? I didn't get it. Yes, you did. <laughs> Two years later in Korea, uh, I saw the movie. 
<laughs> Again, they never say it was like Saber or Epe, like so, you know, we'd have to get a few of them on. Uh, that'd be quite fun actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that. Probably some somebody from that. somebody from France or Italy. So um, I'm sure it'll get a similar reaction to the meatloaf question when you <laughs> drop it. <laughs> so you um you weren't on the interview that I did yesterday with this American shooter and like I brought that up at the end. I'm like, who's your favorite meatloaf thing? Uh, what's your favorite meatloaf song? She gotta look to me. I'm like, oh no, you don't know who me. She's like, yeah. I know who Meatloaf is. I just couldn't name a song for you. And I'm like, I heard Bad Out of Hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's a great question. Um but yeah, like I I do like Love kind of this. I, I think I do vividly remember watching this as a kid and being like, wow, this is like really, really cool. Although again, just tying this into the whole alien sequence, like literally at one point when you're thinking he's walking on an invisible bridge, I'm like, but aliens are okay. Mm. Um, which, I mean, again, like, so this isn't invisible. It's just visually confusing, right? Because you sort of blend it into the rocks. Like, Yeah. Yeah, because even when they pan the camera you start to see it. It's like an optical illusion. Right. But I, I do then like, so I watched the, um, the, there's not an everything wrong with video on this one. There is on the other indies, but I don't know why they haven't done one on the last crusade. Maybe they're, cause there's nothing wrong with it. Maybe they're saving that. Cause sometimes they'll like hold off things until like the new one comes out and they sort of the lead up to get some, you know, clicks for it. But I, what they did do in the very early days of the, how it should have ended series, that animated one, they did a, how it should have ended. And they actually point out a pretty glaring, like, flaw with this knight. They're basically like, so this knight's all like, yes, you can take the Holy Grail, but it cannot leave this room. Otherwise, everything will collapse and people will die. So Indiana Jones is like, okay, so why don't you just hide the Grail and leave? Why have you stayed here for, like, 300 years protecting it if no one can actually take it? And he's like... Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, so he leaves, and then as soon as he steps outside, he, like, dies. and like, ah, I'm old, and he dies. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, he could go out, I don't know, go get a burger somewhere, but if somebody <laughs> happens to shoot him shoot him on the street corner of Pate City, he doesn't have the grail to heal him. <laughs> in, like, 1600, when burgers were a thing in, like, medieval times. Oh, I'm hankering for a Big Mac. Um but like, yeah, like, I mean, it is a, actually a pretty glaring plot hole. What is the deal with this knight <laughs> guarding it when it like, that, I don't know. Like, there's got to be more to it. I'm sure if you get George or Stephen on, they're like, wow, this has a reason why. But like, yeah. literally, this cannot leave the place. Although I will question that because if they can beat these traps, she steps over the thing in a moment and everything starts to collapse. If they just ran an escape beforehand and they got it, well, that was easy. Does it then have powers outside or like... Yeah, yeah, because, well, it, it, it would have to, unless there's some type of spell that was cast on both the Grail and this place, but, I mean, you, you couldn't do that with the Grail, because the whole idea is that it was, like, more than a thousand years afterwards when it was put into this tomb. Yeah. So, sure, you try to leave and the place collapses, but if you just pick that thing up and you chuck it out the door... Yeah. You know, <laughs> everything else collapses, you'd run out the door and it's safe. Well, could you not just be like get on like a walkie-talkie or just yell like, guys, I've got it. Um, if I step over this thing, everything will collapse. So can you go above us, drill directly? Why don't they do that anyway to avoid the traps? Like that that building has a ceiling. So they could map yeah. it out and be like, well, this is the room. <laughs> like drill directly down into it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to, to, you know, pinpoint one of your favorite movies. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I do like I do love the bit when like Julian Glover like this, this to me is just where he's dumb though. Like it's just kind of like Elsa's like mm, that one, and he's like, oh, I'm young. Like, yeah. I mean, shouldn't he just be like? He should be like, are you sure? Are you a hundred percent sure? But even then, like I think like the one criticism I have on this scene is that just in both the moments they get the cup, they're literally like, mm, that one, dead. And then it is like, mm, that one, you have chosen wisely. Like, I feel like there should be a bit more of a, like a, this one, or is it this one? Like a bit more thought, like to add the tension mm-hmm. to it. And then yeah. maybe, and maybe like have a scene of like Indy, like about to drink it. He's about to take a sip. And then all of a sudden he, he remembers or looks and goes, no, it's that one. Like, I don't know. Like <laughs> just draw it out a little bit longer, perhaps. But I also do appreciate that the night here's won Wimbledon a couple of times because you've got like these big fancy like silver plates that look like the Wimbledon trophy and stuff like that. <laughs> he's been busy. This is one Wimbledon in his tomb. So good for night of the round table here. Uh, but yeah, I do kind of like this ending with Elsa and just everything that comes with that. It's kind of cool. And then the collapsing of everything. And yeah, the moment with India and Diana, give me your hand. Um, but once they leave the tomb and it's all like, duh, 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 and they sort of wave it this night, does that night just go, cool. Well, <laughs> going to go get the Holy Grail and sit in my, sit in my room again. <laughs> like, like you don't actually see it fall off the cliff, do you? For all we know, it's still sitting on that ledge. Yeah. Well, but also this guy, he was, we, we didn't even mention, he was ready to die. Yeah. Oh, so well, wouldn't you be after he, like 800 years? <laughs> Well, because even when Indy comes in, he says, you know, I'm supposed to stay here until somebody challenges me to combat. And he says, you have to challenge me to combat. And he just gives him a sword. But I'm just going to give this to you because I don't Boy, feel like fighting. Been sitting in a room for 600 yeah. years. I mean, in this day and age, we get bored for five minutes if we're not on our phone. Like, I mean, what's mm. he going to do? He can't get a burger. Like, I mean. <laughs> exactly. He just wants a burger. But like, I, just, I just picture him going, all right, well. That was my entertainment for 600 years. Better go sit in my rock and wait for the next person. I better, oh, I better tidy up the place a little bit. Um, you know, this is cracked. Oh, well, it gives me something to do. Got a project for the weekend now. Um, but it's a, yeah, I love the Indiana moment at the bit. And then... So, great, great ending of the last of the Indiana Jones trilogy. Yeah, and this title confused me as a kid because I didn't know what a crusade was. And I just heard the last crusade and I assumed, oh, this will never be another movie. So when they started talking about part four, I'm like, but it was the last crusade, not realizing the last crusade as in the crusades. Uh, but it was the last crusade for many years, but uh, we'll um, flash forward 18 years later in another week. Um, critically, this one, uh, pretty solid. I don't know have it open compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark here, but 84%. Uh, and this is also along with Raiders on IMDb's top 250. Uh, this is like number 118. Uh, reviews for this. Uh, lighter and more comedic than his predecessor, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade returns the series to his brisk serial adventures of Raiders while adding a dynamite double act between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. So, a dyna- we got a dynamite double act for you here. <laughs> this dynamite Connery. double act. Double bill with Casablanca at your local <laughs> cinema. Uh, Roger Ebert praised the sequence depicting Jones as a Boy Scout with the Cross of Coronado, comparing it to the, the style of illustration that appears in Boy's Adventure magazines in the 40s. His biggest take was, I really loved the Boy Scouts. I love all the kids. The, the kids, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, who, who's this Canby person? Somebody named Canby uh, said it was a comic surprise. <laughs> a lot of people really are noticing the the comedy of this one as compared to the first one 
Uh, it had hilariously off-the-wall sequences, such as the circus train chase. Uh, he also says Spielberg was maturing by focusing on the father-son. He's maturing by focusing on the father-son relationship. Literally every movie this guy's ever made is about father and son relationship. <laughs> this is nothing new for him. Uh, IMDb user review, a one-star one here. Uh, this guy... Hey, Mile Wanos wrote November 20, 2011, Saturday afternoon, and the TV started playing this movie. I had nothing. This is like reading like a film noir. It was Saturday afternoon, and the TV started playing a movie. It was a dark and stormy. (laughs) I had nothing to do, and I liked the idea of seeing an old, good classic that I have not seen since I was a kid. The movie is terrible. Sometimes it looks like a poor, low-budget series or videotape movie, but but the worst of all is the script. Indie meeting with Adolf Hitler and Hitler hands him his autograph? I used to think it was a real adventure, but now I realize it is a family comedy, a movie for children, where 100 persons die and no blood is shed, where the script has more holes than a, than a cheddar cheese, when nothing makes sense. Poor indie. That literally just backs up what we're complaining about, that people watch these movies as a kid and they accept it, and then when they get old and they see a new movie, they're like, oh, that's just a movie for kids. Yes, so was the one you watched when you were a kid. Just I, deal with it. I like you speaking of cheese. There's one here by Soggy Cheese Pasty. By the end of the film, Indy's costume is still fairly clean. That tells you all you need to know. Weak comedy version of an Indiana Jones movie. Again, have you not seen the first two? Light on danger and violent peril. This 100% cheesy family safe comedy is an embarrassment to the two aggressive superior films. Before. What did you watch? Marcus Body. <laughs> Marcus Body equals Charlie freaking Chaplin. Salah equals Star freaking Laurel. Connery in it for the money. You can almost see the dollar signs in his eyes. Ford equals bored. Spielberg clearly didn't want to upset anyone with a film that was consistent in violence with those before it. He even cared enough to ensure that Indy's costume only had a few cobwebs on it by the film's conclusion. We mustn't put a rip in Indy's trousers this time. That's too cruel. What will people think? Avoid. Okay. Uh, he's Thanks, an idiot. Soggy, cheesy, pasty. <laughs> soggy. He sounds like soggy cheese paste. <laughs> Did you see uh, the, the one at the end? Uh, animal no. to by IVDRV. Animal cruelty does not deserve stars. <laughs> I'm not a stupid hippie or something, but you can't step on rats and use alive animals, 2,000 of them, for a scene which lots of them died for. Pathetic movie. Cruelsome. I think there's one brief scene where they start to step on a rat. I don't think that constitutes animal cruelty that you accidentally step on a rat. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I, I will also mention there were artificial rats in that sequence too. So maybe that was one of the artificial rats. Maybe. They always have a combination of both. Um, box office. Block uh, we really. Uh, fine, let's do that first. Oh, sorry. Okay. I thought you'd forgotten about you it. I did so box excited. office. Apologize. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll pluck keywords will probably be good for this one. We'll see. All right. So box office, this movie opened number one. Uh, it actually set the record uh, for $29 million opening, which would then be broken by Batman, shattered by Batman like a week or two later. But uh, spent two weeks at number one. Uh, overall box office just domestically for this, uh, $197 million. So I don't even know what the worldwide is, but this was the second highest grossing film of 1989. Uh, the other movies that were out the weekend that this came out, let's just look which was Memorial Day weekend. This was the only new movie. Uh, it bumped See No Evil, Hear No Evil, to number two, Field of Dreams was out. Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze and Pink Cadillac uh, for the year. Batman, obviously, number one, $251 million. This, 197 easily the next closest. Then, yeah, Lethal Weapon 2, 
Uh, look who's talking. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Back to the Future 2 was just outside of the top five. Oh, and wow. Ghostbusters 2, Driving Miss... This is a year. Ghostbusters 2, Driving Miss Daisy. Parenthood. I'm not even... I don't even know when that's going to be. Dead Poets Society. Let's see. License. Uh, I can spell it right. doing that this year. 36. Uh, License to Kill was the 36th highest grossing film of the year, just behind Fletch Lives and The Burbs. <laughs> Wasn't <laughs> Fletch Lives a Chevy Chase movie? Yeah, that was one of a, a couple of movies he made. Oh, and we're not doing Burbs, When Harry Met Sally. Sorry, we're doing Slips in Seattle. I always get those two confused. I don't know why. Both Meg Ryan well, yeah, movies, right? Well, Meg, wonder why. Meg Ryan's in both of them. Uh, so now, here we go. Plot keywords. I thought, uh, sorry to interrupt again, but Back to the Future 2, I thought made more money than that. That seems like a bit low, but okay. Uh, I remember Back to the Future 2, not that I remember from 1989, but the the story about that was that what what is so normal now of a movie opens huge and then it just drops like a fly like a dead fly that's what happened to Back to Future Two because I remember for years after this every time there'd be a movie that would have a massive opening but it wouldn't actually hold that it would like a 40 50 percent drop people would all be like this is what happened to Back to the Future Two hmm. so Back to the Future Two I guess was kind of like the original movie that did that made all this money in one weekend uh, plot keywords. Um, uh, castle month, year 1912 month. What is Wehrmacht? W-E-H-R-M-A-C-H-T. German. Whatever it is, uh, it would feature a month of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Dunkirk, and the Man in High Castle. So something to do with I, I, I'm going for Man Wears a Fez month. Uh, yes! Featuring, featuring Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, The Mummy, Death on the Nile, and Keeping Up with the Joneses. You know what? That that would make a pretty good month. We got uh, keep all the Joneses. I, I didn't ever finish that movie. But it's got Gal Gadot in it. Mm. Um, uh, what was Gallop it? Death on the Nile. Ha- Death on the Nile has Gal Gadot in it. Let's just call it Gal Gadot and Fez month. Yeah, why Give not? Give dual month. It, it does Gal Gadot wear a Fez? Oh, let's hope so. <laughs> I, I think that the, 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 now that they do this weird ranking of it, so Holy Grail is number one, and then the bottom one there's a lot for this one i think you can click all you can click all so the yeah, bottom one for this is I'm still is we're nearly there we're nearly there uh christ <laughs> allegory allegory one uh there is also fez hat month is this going to give us different selections last crusade gambit a knight in casablanca and willie dynamite wow the differences between fez and fez hat is very drastic <laughs> well i'm going for babe scientist month Featuring Bones, Interstellar, Thor, Love and Thunder, Natalie Portman, thank you very much, and Jurassic Park. I'm on board. Was your first one just Fez month or was that Man Wears a Fez? I think it was uh, Fez as a hat month, wasn't it? Man, yeah, there's sorry, also a man, man wears, wears a fez. fez. No, 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 man wears a oh, fez. Okay, that is yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. I just want to find any of the fez ones here. That's all I'm searching for. Control F, Fez. Um, no, that's it. Apparently. Oh, hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. Neglecting to cover sneeze month. <laughs> featuring well, this may be this may be the, the actual front runner for next year now <laughs> featuring indiana jones and the last crusade dogma serial mum and but there's literally only four on this list and bad santa uh oh so we would have to come up with another one if we were to do that uh i'm trying to think serial well, mom oh, we've done it yeah duh. yeah uh oh yeah that was one ricky lake was serial oh, mom. ricky lake <laughs> reference to mickey yeah. now surely that's gonna have specter in it Oh, let's hope so. Uh, I don't even see where you see that. That's I've closed the, the plot keywords. 
Anyways, parent uh, grown child f- relationship breaking a vase over someone's head month. <laughs> Let's try that one. Yeah, uh, where is that one? Um, breaking of a vase. Sorry, not a vase. Vase. Indiana Jones: Last Crusade. Bird Box. It's a sequel to Bird Box about to come out. Did you know that? Uh, Twenty One no. Jump Street and Idle Hands. I don't know if Sandra Bullock's in it, but I saw something the other day dropping. It was like Bird Box Two. They're like in Italy or something like that. So I don't know. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think Sandra Bullock's in it. It's called Bird Box. Hey, a bird box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I already said at the beginning of the month I was going to buy this movie, and I, I'll just—I've already spoiled my rankings because I spoiled it years ago when I ranked this as like my fifth favorite film of all time. So uh, you're up, Ben. I completely forget your movie list. I don't know if I typed yours out. It's a buy from me, and um, yeah, like I was kind of thinking this, mulling it over, going like, do I keep Temple at number one? Temple's so fun. But uh, no, this is number one. This is just, I mean, you can't have Connery in this film and, and not like, I mean, I still will stand by that I love Temple of Doom, unpopular opinion. But like, the, again, like as I keep saying, like this was like, these are the ones I watch more. And like, I still watch Raiders. Roger Moore. But like, even when I sort of watch some other clip of like, just kind of them all combined and sort of they show best bits, like I still get more out of this and Temple of Doom than I do out of Raiders. And I still love Raiders. So um, I think that's when when we get to Christmas Skull next week when they bring back Marion and I'm kind of like oh wasn't she in one of the movies <laughs> like yeah. I, I was like oh I think I vaguely remember her so um, yeah no number one for me and I, I unless I completely get blown away by how much I love Crystal Skull I mean again we're about to talk about that now I remember liking it when I saw it I've just only ever seen it the once and maybe have drank the Kool Aid a little bit of its negative opinion over the years as to maybe why I've never revisited it. My arguments for King of the Crystal Skull are really very similar to this than what they were in the Star Wars prequels. And I think that a lot of the criticism is completely unwarranted, but some of the individual complaints, like I can see why that might be a bit of an issue. It's just none of the issues people have with this movie, I believe is as big of a deal as they make out to be. Um, The aliens, uh, having aliens be the thing that it turns out to be, we just spoiled it for anybody who doesn't know. I just think that the way that they handle it at the end of the movie is more the problem and not that it is aliens. And that's why I think people just kind of blow it out of proportion. So uh, what a lot of people ignore is so much of the good stuff in King of the Crystal Skull. Uh, Everybody likes to jump on, oh, Shia LaBeouf was terrible or whatever. He's actually really good in this movie and he's not really playing typical Shia LaBeouf. This isn't like uh, smooth talking, uh, geeky, uh, quip guy. This is, this is, and he's not Indiana Jones either. LaBeouf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what it is. Hollywood like, superstar Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> what I appreciate is they didn't try to make him like Indy Jr. either, because everybody kind of knew that he was his son in this movie. Um, and and yeah, Marion coming back is great. There are some fantastic sequences in this movie, some good action sequences. Nuking the fridge, okay, it's dopey, it's over the top, but so is a lot of the other stuff we covered here that people like to ignore. Yeah. So I, as much as I kind of understand some of the complaints people have. I also feel that those complaints are taken too far. Um, I I still really enjoy this movie, and I haven't only seen it once. This is a movie that I definitely don't watch as much as this original trilogy, but that doesn't mean that I like it any less. To me, it is still an Indiana Jones movie, and we'll kind of decide at the end of next week um, whether I even think this might even be better than Temple of Doom because I have some of, the, some of the similar complaints that people have with King with Crystal Skull. I agree with, and I also agree those same complaints uh, stand for Temple of Doom as well. I remember, we'll talk about it more next year, but I remember being very excited for when this came out. And again, this was sort of like the Indiana Jones trilogy out of those three big like 80s trilogies, one that maybe I like kind of fell away from. But 
I was there like opening day. I think I saw this by myself from memory. Of course I did. I was a loser back then still too. But like, I was just like, I was very excited, very pumped for it. And then I think like my dad was like, oh, so should I go see it? I'm kind of like, yeah, it was good. Like, I, I think I was just like, I don't know if I'd go see it again, but like it was, I enjoyed it. And then I don't think dad ever went and saw it. So um, yeah, but uh, no, I'm looking forward to revisiting it. And I don't, it's one of these ones that I'm kind of shamed that I never revisited after seeing it in the movies. And I, I don't know why. I think it's like The Dark Knight Rises. I don't think I ever saw that. No, actually, no, I would have. I have watched that again because I watched all the Batman movies before. Same year. Yeah. Yeah, it was because that was that sort of interesting period where you had like a, a whole bunch of really big sort of sequel movies that didn't really live up to expectations, I feel, 2008. Mm-hmm. I feel like that because that was Iron Man, right? So that, that was, was like the same year as Iron Man. That yeah. was the MCU beginning. And I never drank the Kool-Aid of Iron Man. I never saw that for like maybe a year later, but... Yeah, I remember that being an interesting year for movies. What was the number one movie of 2008? Uh, I think it was The Dark Knight. It was The Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, oh, yeah was it? No, just The Dark Knight. Oh, no, Dark the, Knight I was talking about The Dark Knight Rises before. Dark Knight, yeah. like, oh, no, absolutely. I remember Dark that. Knight, that was like this only the second movie to ever hit a billion dollars. So right. that was oh, no, I remember one. that. I do remember that now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm still very excited for next week. And uh, I'm also very excited for whatever we talk about 24 this week. Uh, I'm sure it was a great episode. It really was. And... And if there's anything else, I don't know. By the time this is airing, we, uh, M- Jamie and I might have actually recorded our review of uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which that movie, something else. The, uh, <laughs> the, fla- the Flash is like basically out the day this comes. So I'm sure we'll be oh, seeing so that be coming soon. in the coming days. So uh, obviously we're all looking forward to speaking of Batman, which we've never done the Christopher Nolan Batmans. That's, yeah, that's a we had plans, I think, a couple of years ago to do well before the Batman came out. I think our original plan mm. was we were going to do all four of the the original ones and then the, the Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale ones. But now we just got more movies to add to that list. Roger uh, Moore. Yes. So, so now that I know that The Flash is coming out today, then I will rush out that across the Spider-Verse review, which people have already heard. So they know whether I'm a liar or not. Um, we'll be back for Gophers and Fridges and snakes and quicksand and Kate Blanchett next week. Uh, my name is Colin and um, thank you. Raz, what? <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it was rather wonderful. <laughs> and if you are Colin and rather wonderful, then I'm Mickey Mouse. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the oznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.
Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>